Welcome to episode 14 of the VD Clinic. I'm your host, Vanessa, and I'd like to strap you on sometime. With me, as always, is Darren. Uh, drink the black semen of my vengeance, everybody. Thank you. Yes. Is that when we were supposed to do that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> or hello, whichever one. I'll take and, hello. <laughs> and our special guest today... Court Psyops from the Cinema Psyop podcast. This is my happening and it freaks me out. <laughs> I knew you were dying to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, introduce me first so I could just do it. And by special guest, do you mean special needs? Because yes. No, just <laughs> spectacular special. <laughs> okay. And if you haven't guessed by now, we are covering Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> Hopefully you read the title of the episode and saw that that's what we we're covering. Yeah, well, we did also say that, if you, well, if you listened last time, we did mention that. Yes, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, the Russ Meyer, uh, what do you want to call it? Um, rock horror exploitation musical. I think I've seen it referred to that before. <laughs> yeah, like a beach blanket bingo meets Helter Skelter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I actually have never seen beach blanket bingo. I would say it's an excuse to put up a bunch of breasts and then have it end very violently. Well, that's... Too. Just like the 60s. <laughs> yes. And Almost. like any Russ Meyer film anyway. Yeah, yeah. pretty much yeah. every Russ Meyer film ends the same way. Lots of boobs and violence. Yeah, yeah. Which and is why I love his films. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. And we are also going to be covering the Jacqueline Suzanne book, Valley of the Dolls. We are not doing that movie, but I will... Yeah, I have a few. Th I did rewatch it, so I'm going to have some things to share about that. And these movies are not, I mean, not connected, really. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. Yeah, and this is also our June LGBTQ Pride Month episode. And, or what were we calling it? Pills and Pillows? <laughs> I, I think that's what you came up with, yeah. <laughs> Kitchen, you know, I love alliteration. <laughs> I like it. It works. Yeah, well, honest. <laughs> what was last month's? Was it Aliens and Cocaine or? No. No, it was just, we just called it the anniversary episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking of the Liquid Sky. My bad. Oh, that was the drug fueled 80s. Drug fueled. Yeah, well, this is kind of drug fueled 60s <laughs> to 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, uh, so how are you, Darren? I am doing better than I expected to be today. I don't know if, if you're going to put any of that earlier conversation in, but. Since we're all about truth here most of the time, unless we're playing a part, as we will later when we do our scene, uh, I had a vasectomy last week for Father's Day, and... <laughs> Congratula no, congratulations. Thank you. No, it's a mature, responsible thing to do. So That's a hell of a gift to give to yourself by having part of yourself cut out. Yeah, you know, uh, for the greater good. Uh, <laughs> the greater good. <laughs> So yeah, I'm just chilling here uh, with uh, some ice and some extra support. And thank you guys for giving me the extra support that I need. <laughs> yeah, my hand's getting tired. Do I have to keep? I was going to say any time. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about emotions because you know. I I uh, exactly. I've been trying to give you emotional support. Oh, and I've had it. But anyway, I like to ramble. So if you want to just say, I'm doing pretty well. 
How are you doing today? Um, my brain is completely fried. Uh, <laughs> work has been very insane over the past month, more insane than usual, and particularly the past week. I'm working on no sleep, so I can't promise the giggle episodes <laughs> that I'll break into to the, today. <laughs> I'll try to limit them, but it may be hard. <laughs> no sleep till whatever. Where do you live in Brooklyn? Flatbush. Yeah, so that's the extended version of the song. It was no sleep till Flatbush, Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm just now thinking of the movie The Lords of the Flatbush. Yes. I haven't seen that in forever, different, but man, that was a fun Different Flatbush now. Oh, I would imagine. And also different. They're What they break it down into, like, what used to be Flatbush, you know, back then in that era that that movie covers is, like, they break down to real estate sections now. So I'm almost in another section, but I'm really still, still technically in Flatbush. You know, it just depends on the realtor you talk to. And who's trying to sell you a more expensive apartment than you can afford? Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's... <laughs> anyway, how have you been, Court? I just got back from the last weekend from this recording seeing slayer in pittsburgh with three lifelong friends pretty much one i met in college and the other two i went to high school with and had a band with at the time in high school and that was a total blast i hope that these memories will last while i'm in my retirement home for metalheads talking about <laughs> back in my day bands like slayer used to rock you for three hours straight you know yeah uh it was a hell of a lot of fun i got to see my family and everything on top of that so that's mm. kind of bittersweet sometimes it's great sometimes it's not this last time was great visiting with my family. Uh, I found that there is a two to three day magic spot where I can spend with my parents and maybe if my sister's visiting before things start getting ugly. So yeah. two to three days is the magic spot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Any more than that's kind of pushing it. Unless my wife's with me and then, you know, that keeps things relatively sane. Yeah, well. To have your anchor. Well, that and she helps me bite my tongue because I have a few Trump supporters in my extended family that uh, I just found out about. <laughs> I get that. I mean, I grew up in Alabama <laughs> and not just part of like my stepmother side of the family that is all from the South, you know, then you've got my mom's part of the family that's California, but in Arizona and it's like the conservative parts of those areas. <laughs> well, I mean, whenever all you get your news from is pretty much Fox News and you're following the propaganda station, then yeah, you're going to be ill-informed about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because everything that I, I like, I kind of almost got into a bit of an argument where I'm like, well, do you support this? And I was bringing up the whole thing about separating the kids at the border. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then this uh, particular, you know, extended family member was kind of like, uh, yeah, that's the Democrat. They're just following the law the Democrats put in. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm done. We're not talking anymore. <laughs> yeah, we only control both houses of Congress and the White House and made an announcement that this is what we're going to start doing now. But yeah, it's the Democrats' fault. Yeah. Well, it's because that's what he said on public TV, that that was the reason why and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, that was his excuse. And apparently people do actually fall for this shit, sadly. <laughs> wow. Yes, hope, that's hope, true. Hopefully it's fewer than last time. That would be. <gasps> yeah, I've got to work the uh, local primary in a couple weeks. I forget what election it is, but it's one of the, I guess, maybe one of our federal ones. Now, do you get drafted for that kind of work or can you volunteer for it? Oh, I get paid for it. No, they 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 recruit people. They have you see ads on the subway or wherever, and you know they just are asking for people to come work for them as like temp, you know, basically as temps because they do have people that work for board of elections year round, and then whenever there are actual elections, they have people like me that come in. We get a certain amount of training and have whatever designated jobs at the locations and get paid X amount of dollars. I get paid more because I'm a coordinator, um, which means <laughs> I gotta put up 
up with some crazy stuff sometimes. And, but I'm going to be in a different district this time, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, I'm usually in the one that's all one of the rare parts of Brooklyn that's super conservative. It's primarily Orthodox Jews, but it's like Orthodox Jews living around like traditional Muslim and conservative um, Latino like immigrant families. It's it's a very interesting mix. <laughs> But still, it's primarily the Orthodox Jews. And then now I'm going to be in my neighborhood and my neighborhood is going to be predominantly Caribbean. <laughs> it's going to be and they're predominantly like extremely liberal. <laughs> like that is interesting. Indian. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be such a different kind of type thing because of just some of the comments you hear when people come in to vote. I mean, it, partly just they'll be talking about their own politics, but then how they treat the workers is <laughs> a totally different kind of thing because a lot of the people that you have work as a worker, you know, it's not necessarily in your district where you live, but, you know, all different shapes, colors, ethnicity, whatever. And I've almost had to, like, call cops. Like, it's gotten bad. Yeah, with some of, like, the Islamophobia and anti-immigrant rhetoric that I heard at, like, especially the 2016 presidential, like, the general election. Oh, my goodness. It was it was bad. One woman, like, flipping out in there yeah anyway i digress (laughs) (laughs) the reason that i asked about that is because here in my state or at least in my city as far as i know of for omaha because that's the most of what i know about voting i've been here that long yeah and when i lived in pittsburgh i never really voted even though i was allowed to which i'm still regretting to this day but anyway that's beside the point (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the way that it goes is to be on the election commission is kind of like jury duty where you get selected and then you have to serve for x amount of elections and there's no choice like Mm. that's your thing and you get paid time off um, from work and you go work the elections and you, you know, right. it, it's it's allotted that way where you don't have to, where you, they can't, it's exactly like jury duty where they have to let you off. You have to work the election. You get paid your full salary and then an additional compensation and stuff, but hmm. it's a mandatory thing, which I kind of dig. I like it. It's like, if you're going to be a citizen, yeah. you, you, you have to do this, you know? And I do believe it's sort of like jury duty where if you're registered to vote or something like that, that's how it, it comes out for that. Yeah, you have to be registered to vote. That's, I mean, that's how <laughs> The same way a jury duty comes about, exactly. Well, thanks to the Supreme Court, two million fewer people in Ohio are uh, eligible for jury duty then. Oh, God. Wait, this is the wrong show. We are wrong here. show. <laughs> we are here to talk about Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Exactly. We're here to talk about something lighthearted and campy. Like, And it's funny because I, I just want to say before we get into the rest of the show that I wanted to do these before. Um, I hadn't necessarily planned to do them in June as a pride type episode. I wanted to do them in the summer because I just thought, okay, Valley of the Dolls is going to be a trashy bee tree. This is like last year we had our trashy bee read which was who um whatever happened to baby jane and then once we decided to move valley of the dolls and beyond the valley of the dolls to june for pride i started thinking about it i'm like actually last year we did whatever happened to baby jane both the book and the movie at june as well so and that's like a camp classic and has such a distinct place in lgbtq community as well so i'm like (laughs) we never talked about that as a pride episode but it kind of (laughs) was (laughs) Ha ha ha. 
<laughs> so I don't know if it's the trashy beach reads that bring it into that realm or what. I don't <laughs> Anyway. How will we top it next year? Oh, uh, well, there are many ways, but. <laughs> I Flowers just in the to... attic. It... Oh my God. <laughs> Flowers in the attic. <laughs> you got to save that for pro incest month. Oh, right. <laughs> That's more for your show. Every, every day when. Hey, what are you implying? Just because we keep it in the family over there. <laughs> I don't, I'm just, I'm just throwing things out there. <laughs> yeah, now, today, we, everybody can just say anything they want and it doesn't matter because we are totally post-truth. <laughs> or as Court said, this is his happening and... It freaks me out. It yeah. freaks him out. And on that note, we're going to take a brief break and we will be right back. Are you terrified by real life? Us too! You like horror movies? Us too! Then join Maddie and Andrew, your co-hosts for a new podcast that explores horror in real life and horror in the movies. And all with a fresh and fabulous gay perspective. We are a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Facebook, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. We're Friday the 13th. And now, another episode of Quarantine Theatre. How about another? No, ma'am. Why don't you have one? You trying to talk me off my diet. What are you waiting for? You'll be late for class. Expecting company? Not company. Roses. Roses? This is our anniversary. We've been engaged exactly one week. I didn't think you'd remember. Ding dong. And that'll be them now. Well, well, El Buckaroo. I was hoping I'd be finding you here to personally thank you for those 30 days in the bucket. Who is it, Emerson? The delivery boy? Right on. What was it you wanted delivered, madam? What the hell are you doing here? Just making a little house call. My last one got sidetracked by assault and battery. Randy, please don't cause any trouble. Trouble? <laughs> you got any jam? Randy, please leave now. No jam at all. Man, I think you better leave. Don't you bother about me. I'll just fix me a little snack. I'm used to it, you see. I don't have a chick to fix me breakfast, so I just fix a little snack of my own. Emerson, let me handle this. Now that's a real, now that's real cool advice. Since you're in charge, where do we start? Get the hell out of here, man. I just don't understand your change of mood, lady. Now the last time I was up here, you were in a whole different bag. Yes, ma'am. I remember that night so clearly. You were so good. I said get the hell. Why, Randy? Why? Come now, little lady. There's nothing here to be afraid of. I love him. Nothing at all. Why can't you leave us alone? Come to Papa. <laughs> Why, you little... You touch him, and I'll cut you. Bastard. Now ain't that just the luck? And here I am without a good cut man in my corner. I sure could use old Dan Florino right now, because without the cut man, I, I might get a little slice under the eye. Don't mean anything. I'd stop the fight. It don't seem reasonable somehow. I'm throwing in the towel. And we're back with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, the 1970 uh, exploitation movie by uh, directed by Russ Meyer, written by Roger Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can. I always love that. Yeah, he has no right to criticize anybody else about their films ever with this. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I just, I just love it. And Those who can't do criticize. That's all I'm saying. Precisely. The IMDb description is. The short one, they have another one on here which kind of cracks me up and is stupid. But this is the best way to describe it. Three girls come to Hollywood to make it big, but find only sex, drugs, and sleaze. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm like, that, yep, that, that sums it up. Nicely, nicely. Yeah. Uh, but it stars uh, Dolly Reed as Kelly McNamara, Cynthia Myers as Casey Anderson, Marsha McBroom as Petronella Danforth. So they're the Carrie nation in this um john lazar is ronnie z-man barzell this is my happening and it freaks me out <laughs> exactly exactly you know what he just became my friend on facebook did he he requested my me yeah oh cool yeah <laughs> oddly yeah so. oh I, I you you mentioned that to me before didn't yeah. you i'm i, I was like it just like kind I of was interesting he just had a birthday Ooh. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then I'm not going to mention everybody, but I was going to mention uh, Michael Blodgett as Lance Rock, David Gurion as Harris Alsworth, Edie Williams as Ashley St. Ives, Erica Gavin as Roxanne, and Phyllis, Dave, oh, Phyllis Davis as, as Susan Lake. Oh, and, oh, sorry, Harrison Page as Emerson Thorne. I was trying to get in, oh, Duncan McLeod, Duncan McLeod <laughs> as Porter Hall. I was trying to get all the big important characters in there. Yeah. Oh, you know, fair Because there, there are a lot of people that are in and out. <laughs> in Bentleys and in the hay. Like, yeah. And nearly every brunette looks almost exactly the same. So it's really hard to distinguish which girl you're actually lusting over at that time. Because <laughs> even their body types are so similar. Russ Meyer did have a type. Yes. <laughs> He, he did have a type of lovely lady. <laughs> yes, he had a type, and I very much appreciate that specific type. So I yeah. do as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to ask, when was uh, Court, when's the first time you saw this? This is actually, I'm really late to the game on Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. About the time that Criterion and Arrow Video put these releases out, mm -hmm. I snagged up the Arrow Video one because you got pretty much all the same features and it was less money. And I love Arrow Video and I wanted to support them. So I grabbed that release. And when that came out, how was it like, what, two, three years ago, maybe? Yeah, I got the Criterion at that time because I found the Criterion on sale. Yeah, and I had never actually watched this one before it uh mostly because i was boycotting it because roger ebert not gonna lie <laughs> I, I love russ meyer yet i hate roger ebert so i was like i'm not watching that <laughs> okay and then when it came out on arrow video because i'm a obsessive compulsive collector i was like okay i have to buy it now <laughs> and that's that's when i i watched it shortly after i bought that and i was just punishing myself not seeing it because this is a hell of a lot of fun to watch well does does that arrow edition have um like what kind of booklet or does it have with it because it does have a, has a booklet with all the photos and and a different essays. Yeah, it does have a booklet. It does have some photos and essays, but I'm sure the Criterion okay. one might be a little bit more involved. I don't think that they could actually do exactly the same thing. That yeah, way. I, I was just curious though. Yeah, but it is an excellent release. It's one of their limited edition versions of it that I got my hands on, so it has a lot of the same like similar stuff that what the Criterion one does. I almost wonder if they split the costs and then you know Criterion got the American release and then the overseas market was done by arrow because arrow does that with some people sometimes right but i saved probably uh, additional 20 bucks on my release even though i had to import it 
<laughs> okay. Well, I I know you and I know you've seen other Russ Meyer films. How many or what have you? What other what is your other Russ Meyer kind of films and have you seen? And like, when did you? I have it? the I have the Russ Meyer box set. Can't remember exactly what it's called, but it was the one that was released. I think it was in Australia or something like that. So it has pretty much all of them, and I've worked my way through them a couple of different times. But my my personal favorites out of that, mm. um, I really dig uh, Vixen and Up. I think those are great, real like really great examples of the type of filmmaking that he did. Um, I just watched Vixen last weekend for the first time. Yeah, and I have a thing for Erica Gavin. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so like Vixen and uh, Up and the other things that she was in, I, I really dig too. Obviously, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, but that's kind of a different era. That I mean, that's more or less all the people kept their clothes on in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, see here. Oh yeah, Super Vixens as well. I think that's probably my favorite. <laughs> Because okay. it's just so out there. <laughs> I really like Super Vixens. Plus the lady that's on the cover, I have a huge crush on. Even though she's only in the film for like a brief moment. I I don't know. I just was transfixed by her from the cover. And she's the one that's on the cover of the box set that I have as well. So, and you know, I've seen the other ones like Even the Handyman and stuff like that. But the ones that really stick with me are Up, Vixen, Super Vixen, and Faster Pussycat probably are my favorites. Okay. When you that's- like how like how young did you, I mean, like were you when you first saw his, his stuff? I came again, once again, kind of late to the game. Um, I was aware of Russ Meyer probably in my late teens, early 20s, but the stuff was really hard to get a hold of unless you wanted to pay an exorbitant fee for the VHSs directly from him back when he was still alive. Right. And it's it's still really hard to get a hold of this stuff. And everybody, I think, would be more aware of Russ Meyer's work from Les Exorcisto because that's pretty much all the quotes in Les Exorcisto are from his movies. I don't know if anybody's realized that or not, but that's how I kind of really became aware of it was around that time frame. But I couldn't really actually see the films until the DVD revolution kicked in quite a few years later so i was probably in my late 20s by the time i was getting my hands on some of these right okay darren so when was the first time you saw this movie the first time i saw this movie i'd have to say it was like 10 10 years ago i found it on youtube Mm -hmm. i as i guess more people are learning all the time i'm relatively unversed in the like exploitation or black exploitation genres and stuff like that so russ meyer kind of fell into that that category for me i learned about him when i was in high school from watching serial mom right because uh, what <laughs> scotty right scotty's really right. into russ meyer so Which, you know by the way court was on our serial mom episode <laughs> tying it back in yeah scotty yeah. really seemed to like uh doris wishman movies with uh what's her face i can't remember Chesty the lady Chesty morgan yeah why can't i can't why can't i remember that <laughs> how can you forget Chesty morgan i mean <laughs> i think i'm blocking it out because i'm traumatized it just makes me think back pain that's all like (laughs) as a woman i can't yeah i don't know how she survived so long without getting any kind of reduction but she was very proud of those attributes of her body yes yes exactly so anyway jaren sorry oh no 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 it's it's good good to reflect on old school body positivity so yeah uh i've seen this like i said about 10 years ago uh at some point i saw faster pussycat like everybody seems to and then that's i i think that's actually it i could pretend like i vaguely remember seeing vixen at a time but i probably just making that up yeah maybe i don't know you know because uh i'm not saying that i don't like this the these genres but i am definitely 
very inexperienced in them. So I still got my life vest on. <laughs> yeah, I I know. I mean, I had seen, I knew of Russ Meyer at a, you know, when I was probably in high school in the 80s, but I, in Alabama, I couldn't really get, there wasn't, the access wasn't there to see it. But then, I mean, it was, I got, at least once I moved to Cincinnati, you know, my early 20s, I was able to see Faster Pussycat. And then once I moved, you know, and what else did I, I'm trying to think, might have been up that I saw, whatever, mid 90s at that point. But it wasn't really until I moved to New York that, and also as more like, <laughs> that I started, I had the access to see these different things. I and then also that when you... the internet has opened up and I, you know, granted, I moved to New York in 2001. So, <laughs> sorry, eight, 18, what? <laughs> I just left because as soon as you said when I moved to New York and then a police siren goes off. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to comment on that too, but I noticed Darren diving on it. So I let it go. <laughs> hey, it, it, it happens so often. I just... <laughs> You can't sleep at night without the sound of sirens and people screaming at each other. (laughs) No, actually, it's only when I podcast. No, I'm kidding. Um, I only say that because the last last episode of Devour, um, (laughs) the the, the police sirens went off. (laughs) Um, I've always got the helicopters. Yeah, I I had that when I... I get the helicopters here sometimes, too, especially because, you know, the cops love to, you know, love to go into the uh, racially mixed neighborhoods. (laughs) Shine their spotlights at people and be like... Shine in anyway. We dig- we digress, but so I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really. It wasn't really until like maybe seventeen years ago that I had access to a lot of different things. Moving to New York, where I could go to a video store or something and rent something, and then just as the internet has opened up and streaming services and different things, there's. I mean, I love that the Roku channel. I mean, um, on the Roku, there are a couple different channels that are like Grindhouse, and they have just complete Russ Meyer programming, hmm. and you you can just go down the list in one afternoon it's a lot of boobs but <laughs> <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing oh no i'm not but <laughs> she's saying it as a selling point <laughs> at a point <laughs> Well, I think it's important to note, too, a lot of Russ Meyer's films are either released unrated or were given an X, but it's because he prominently features body parts, but he never actually does anything super hardcore with it. You never see actual penetration or anything like that. Occasionally, you know, you'll see his his stick is overly endowed people, whether they be male or female. There's either like extremely heavily breasted women or dudes that have hog legs the size of New York City just hanging out, Right. Um, which is why Charles Napier got a lot of work from him. You know, he he likes the exaggeration of everything. And I, I think it's part of his comedic styling where the way people talk is way over the top. Which is why I think the are... Roger Ebert script works because it's a way over the top. I, yeah, I, I can yeah, I can kind of see that. But it's for me, the Russ Meyer films that work better are the ones that he kind of writes himself because he doesn't actually make the, the dialogue like it's the dialogue fits the delivery a little bit more. And mm-hmm. with Roger Ebert stuff, like particularly with this film with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, it just reminds reminds me of all the people that are always trying to be hip and with it and cool and just like the kind of people you just want to slap in the face and be like you're trying too hard just settle down <laughs> like well, a lot of his talk is like that but this is this is partly written on like that i mean it's basically written to be just a satire and to mock what the certain generation thinks the 
this younger generation is. That w this is what hippies are. This is, it, and just because you might look one way doesn't necessarily mean you're a hippie. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, what the, what is the one um, Porter Hall character says something like, back in my day, it was called the generation gap. I'm sure you call it something different now or something. It, it, however he puts it, and you're, I mean, he's skeevy, but... <laughs> um <laughs> that's all I that's what I have to say about him. He's skeeting. But he does give us those great lines that I know that they um sampled in Sublime Song to uh Smoke Two Joints. <laughs> yep. <laughs> going on about the smoking briefer, the marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> She, she was living in a single room with three other individuals. Yeah, that one. Oh. Yeah, exactly. The first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh shit, I didn't know that's, that's where that that's was from. from. Right? Yeah, that's been most of my life is finding where all the music that I love, like the various samples that they pulled things from movies. And whenever you find it, it's always like this special thing. But it also kind of ruins your respect for people too, because you kind of see like, well, for instance, Rob Zombie and how he samples almost everything. Yeah, it, It's like every movie that he samples, it's like this movie didn't deserve that kind of treatment <laughs> <laughs> he's run out of fresh stuff oh yeah that was a long time ago but i'm not gonna bag on him too much more probably about 30 or 40 more minutes <laughs> anywho um so there are I, there's so much in this film <laughs> that i want to talk about i'm just trying to think how do we want to dive into this i mean look it starts even when you're talking about this kind of talking about how it's written the generation gap type thing and this is what this older generation thinks that these hippies are where the younger kids are and what they look like and what they're into I mean I think you look at the opening scene and the band is playing what's supposed to be a senior prom and those actors they're the oldest looking teenagers I've ever seen I mean I'm sure all the actors were 30 plus not even in their 20s <laughs> yeah but everybody smoked cigarettes and drank back then so they always looked older <laughs> I mean it's just you know it, it's just kind of like no teenagers Teenagers don't don't look like that. Just even I think in their casting was, you know, was kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it strikes me, it kind of strikes me that way. And um, I, I don't know, I kind of had this love for little things of this era, these different, the psychedelic era, like in the prom where he's like has the, the um, light filter color spinning wheel. <laughs> I always love like that kind of stupid shit. <laughs> Anybody who actually listens to my show pretty regularly will probably hear my love of the type of music that is featured in this film. The late 60s, early 70s garage rock, like acid inspired rock that kind of ended up formulating a very specific version of punk rock yeah. is like my sweet spot. I love this kind of stuff. You know, Strawberry Alarm Clock and the kind I of music that these girls are doing. I, I really enjoyed it. And that's the part that that growing up because yeah. my mom was and i the part of me was really remiss for not watching this film this long because of that because i really dug a lot of the music that was in this and i think that really captures the era a lot better than trying to show how these old people are perceiving what the youth culture is like because the music encapsulates it so much better so when the girls are actually performing they nailed it perfectly that sort of poppy rock that has that like three mm -hmm. chord made in a garage but here's these ladies here for you to enjoy and all their yeah. performances, even though the actresses are clearly not actually playing the instruments. The and I was that... going to ask you guys that as musicians. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think the actresses are playing the, the actual instruments, but they at least bothered enough to learn where the chords would kind of be, even though their power chords look like they're just holding three fingers over top of the guitars. Right. And the... No, they didn't actually take music lessons. 
Yeah, the drummer heard her in an interview say that she took lessons and they had silencer pads on the drums, but she happily, uh, for a while, she said that a lot of people thought that she was actually playing them and she thought at least she learned enough to pass. I would say... There were some sketchy parts, but that uh, double hand, that one, that actually looked a lot better than you usually get from a fake drummer in a movie. Right. Yeah, the drummer was pretty much the only one that looked like she was actually trying to play her instrument, and that's really hard to fake. With guitaring, guitar yeah. stuff, you can just kind of shoot it in a certain way where as long as the person's moving their hand around, it looks like they're playing, even though they're not. Yeah. <laughs> you take the frets yeah. off, and it's just like, okay, I, I assume that they're right. But yeah, with drums, it's, yeah. Like and vocalists hands- have it the easiest to try and fake, because all you got to do is move your mouth and mouth the words and make it look like you're trying to sing what you're saying and dolly reed that was not her singing yes that's not her voice (laughs) right did you go back through um any extra interviews i know you said you that you uh you watched the the movie and you watched the valley of the dolls movie oh yeah so i have the criterion collection and last weekend while i was doing i was working from home and i'm sitting here in in the background okay i'm watching i'm re-watching the movie and then and then um and i started trying to take notes at the same time i was working i'm like i'm that's too much <laughs> my brain no, was not gonna explode especially when it was like my day off and i had to i don't need to multitask that much on the weekend <laughs> and anyway so i was watching i watched the movie and then i watched all the criterion um extras i haven't listened to the commentaries that's the only thing i didn't do but they have some great interviews on there and actually i've re-listened to an episode of the projection booth um podcast from about a year year and a half ago that they did on it and they have some great interviews too with the different people you know in the film and yeah I mean it was it, it was just interesting to hear like the ones who because it was clearly written to be some sort of just to just making fun of this what the Valley of because it doesn't want to be a sequel to Valley of the Dolls even though that was like a critics hated it but it was very popular to the public people didn't th- you know thought it was kind of cheesy and ridiculous at least you know the camp where I guess Russ Meyer and Roger Ebert were but it they decided you know what we can't make we can't make a sequel to it let's make a parody of it and you know that's why like you have to have at the beginning of the film the disclaimer because Jacqueline Suzanne didn't want to be associated with the film (laughs) you know but if you there are certain things in the film some of they throw in a character name here and there and they put like a I think like a last name with it or something or someone and it's like links it almost to or hints at a character from Valley of the Dolls from at least the book it's really interesting too because for a film that sure wants to distance itself from valley of the dolls yeah at the very beginning intro it puts the word valley of the dolls or the title of the film valley <laughs> of the dolls like three or four times in the thing where it's like we have nothing to do with valley of the dolls this is nothing like yeah. valley of the dolls by the way valley of the dolls <laughs> no it was completely yeah wanted to cap because it still you know wanted to capitalize on it of course but i mean sure why not because it is basically the same kind of story at the you know the root of it these three budding musician female musicians from small town USA decide to go to Hollywood so they can make it big in the music industry it's music industry instead of the acting industry or the modeling industry like it is in Valley of the Dolls that's the only difference and also these ones are still popping what they even refer to as dolls yeah. you know it, they don't I mean they, sure they say downers or whatever here and there but uh, that you would nor- you know normally hear but then oh we're gonna say dolls <laughs> like, as well I'm like yeah you just gotta throw a few things in there that yeah we're still got you still got valley in the dolls you, you know on your mind 
<laughs> turn into the skin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want to completely disassociate ourselves from the thing that we're trying to parody by mentioning it several times so you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I was watching this movie Gaslight the other night and I got a great marketing idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy Russ Meyer's editing style, and I think this is probably his most masterful work editing-wise. It's so yeah. beautiful the way he does that psychedelic cutting and his mm -hmm. particular style. It really works well for me, and I really, really liked it. And I didn't really pay attention to it until I watched it this time, just how well edited this film is. I think it kind of saves it because the rest of the story is a bit of a mess. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course, it, it still kind of is. It's camp exploitation at its core. It's, you know, it's trashy, of course. And I mean, that is part of why I love it, though. I mean, I'm not necessarily someone who goes for, I mean, I like exploitation movies, yes, sometimes. But when you're talking like mainstream type movies, and this was 20th Century Fox put all this money behind this movie. They were pushing it to be a little bit more mainstream <laughs> when it came out. That was the thing. <laughs> I think that might be it too i think he had a better money for film stock he had a little bit more time in the editing room to get it out and it really shows like what russ could have done if he would have been given more money more often exactly exactly he's a hell of a filmmaker man <laughs> oh he's there's no doubt that he was talented and you're right funding was certainly uh, a factor i think in some of you know in some of his work um this and what i was started to say to you guys after we whatever kind of off mic when we were after we recorded the scene that saying it was hard to find a scene, a good scene for not just three people, because most of the scenes that were in here were for either two people or like big groups of people, or they were just these really small snippets here and there. And a lot of these scenes in this movie are just snippets. So you have not just the actual editing cuts between like, you have like a, whatever, a couple, what is it? A couple, I think, cuts, split screens, you know, a, a different actual framing of shots. But then you have the actual end of scene, like going on to another scene like a, because it revolves it revolves around this party atmosphere and how it is that crazed life of being at a party or constantly being like part of your job because like if you worked as a musician or in theater or something where there's a lot of like after party type <laughs> <laughs> culture that's like that's expected of you as part of your job you know anything that requires you to schmooze like that or just chill with your fellow whatever co-workers <laughs> for lack of a better term kick it with strawberry alarm clock yeah right i i dig the strawberry alarm clock totally so many uh, hot, he had at least seven hot tubs in that house i think right <laughs> well when you're a music mogul is that what he is i can't tell what z-man does for a living that's or what he he's just supposed a, to be that's he's a music I, mogul i thought he was like a trendsetter or just like some you know like taste maker guy and everybody just follows what he says i think he's a music mogul but yeah he seeks out new talent you know, but it, I don't know. It does seem that music is more his niche. And is he an <laughs> is he an analog of Phil Spector? Is what I want to know because of his craziness. Well, so <laughs> I think, oh man. So I want to talk about this opening party scene um, at Z Man's place. So you know, you have everybody in all of these different crazy categories or walks of life, like thrown into this one big party. You have like the porn star and the like really fake gay men and then the hippies and strawberry alarm clock the kind of yeah whatever psychedelic thing you have the random older woman with the orange wig <laughs> talking about sex after <laughs> menopause <laughs> 
she did made me catch, think huh did you catch that yeah. yeah she made me think of the old lady in the 54 movie okay i don't know if you've seen that i'm trying to remember i did see it but i don't remember it oh. the the lady that plays the grandma or the old lady in wedding singer plays the, oh okay yeah the old lady that's dancing and doing drugs and cussing and oh, okay anyway sure did you guys but, catch pam greer's uh appearance was it in this party i can't remember which one but she's I, one of the party guests she's one of the party guests because yeah. she was uh, roommates with somebody right yeah she was roommates with um i think it was uh marcia mcbroom for a, yeah for a is while that, is that the w- lady that played the drummer the one that plays pet yeah okay i didn't want to just assume that because she was roommates with pam Greer that she was the <laughs> the only black girl in the cast <laughs> no 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 i'm i believe that's what um i believe that's why i heard i was listening i was listening to re-listening to her interview the other day about it so i may have misheard who it was because i there were a lot of interviews and i was also at work while i was listening to it so <laughs> that multitasking thing again i just got really excited and then really sad when i realized that that's the only time i was going to see her in this film <laughs> yeah i know yes. but hey this was I think her first movie credit, maybe. I believe so too, because it's she's credited with her full name. It's Pamela and not Pam. Pamela, right. <laughs> Playing fourth woman or whatever it is. <laughs> Pamela is always first woman. Yeah, in my heart anyways, but don't tell absolutely, my wife. Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. We can't tell um, any of our wives. <laughs> but it's and it's really interesting the because they have such a variety of races and ages in there. So it's not just all young people and it's not just all all like white or white and black people you've also got like latino and asian you've got an indian uh like i don't know indian american or from india but uh because a guy looks like has a sikh headdress on mm. in there so um <laughs> you know it, it, that's what what crowd is this that z-man's running with where where is he finding all these people because you don't see it doesn't seem to me that you see that in a lot of other party scenes in movies from this era that kind of diversity i don't know if that is supposed to to show just how open-minded the flower children were supposed to be or if this is just something that Russ Meyer decided to throw in there to show that it's wow these people are all integrated and wow this is going to be some crazy world that we're entering here because this never happened right right exactly that's yeah but I mean it is I mean it is his film is progressive even I mean when just on look on the racial level that you have a racially mixed all-female rock band at the center of this story yeah, true. And Emerson's in law school too. And Emerson's in law school. And actually, even though she cheats on Emerson the one time, they seem the more emo- the most emotionally stable relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because for Ferris certainly, and it, you know, and uh, Carrie are certainly not emotionally stable in their ways. <laughs> for a Russ Meyer film, though, this sure has the least amount of people just bed hopping around. That's for sure. Right. Oh, absolutely. I think, and and that's interesting. This is not a typical Russ Meyer film in that way. It's ex- it's still exploitation. It's still sexy sleazy. Uh, but yeah, you really and you have nudity, but you don't necessarily have sex as much. There's there's no male nudity really either. Like in most Russ Meyer films, you have at least one shot where a guy hangs wang. <laughs> right. Well, and this 
was this was this was rated X when it came out. But why? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to figure. The violence. Out. The violence. Violence and racial integration. I think that's why. <laughs> well, well, and then and then let's get onto the queer component of this movie in the fact of you have an actual. It, well, it's not the most positive portrayal because it's still an exploitation movie and you're still trying to sell it to middle America. Mm. Okay, so there is there is that component why things don't end well. <laughs> But the fact of you have the Roxanne character and she's never really, she's never portrayed as the predatory, the stereotypical predatory lesbian. She's her older, so she just comes across as, oh, I'm just a little bit older and maybe a little bit more experienced than you are. That's the only, it doesn't seem like she, you know, is actually preying so much on Casey, like other films of this era would put out there. And other Russ Meyer films, a lot of the oh, exactly. homosexuality if it does exist in other Russ Meyer films is not portrayed in the light that it is here and I hate to give him credit for it but that's probably Ebert's touch on this case right I mean absolutely absolutely because even they have the disclaimer at the end even after okay we're gonna it's not really a spoiler they show you the ending at the beginning well, of the movie so they show it you, at the you very can, beginning you can, of okay. you can bounce around yeah and and that's just it is that because it's still of that certain era and you're still trying to please a certain amount of the mainstream America. I mean, 20th Century Fox was trying to get money. They, of course, it didn't end, it couldn't end well for the lesbians. And the lesbian, that's the positive one, whatever, and then they have a positive relationship. <laughs> She's killed. Of course, one of them has to be killed, but, and of course, it has to be by a phallic object. I mean, that was very typical of that era of filmmaking. Um, but there's also then this later, the narration kind of at thing at the end where it's like Roxanne and Casey, theirs was not an evil relationship, which I'm like, okay, I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't erase the fact that you fucking killed them because <laughs> then you go on to kill Casey. But the it's, to, it's then followed by a line that what is it? Evil came because of the relationship. Like basically, it's like wait, that's no, that's not an, that's not a. You're not giving me any motivation there. There's what was the what was the blame for them falling in love and having a night together? Where is that resulting in Z-Man doing what he does? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's how is that their fault? Right. They're not evil. They're just the root of evil. Yeah, the line is Casey and Roxanne. Theirs was not an evil relationship, but evil did come because of it and leaves it at that and it's like no that's the fact that z-man was all fucked out on peyote and whatever else you know they've been drinking other stuff popping pills and who knows what yeah who knows yeah. what kind of stuff a nazi butler bartender would make <laughs> well right and i mean there were plenty of drugs and bottles and, <laughs> and bags of stuff <laughs> boxes looked like the peyote was in a box but so so yeah they and they never like even when uh z-man's referring to um but what's her name roxanne when he's introducing kind of casey around the party and everything he like it's very much just like okay it's normal like yeah she likes ladies yeah sure whatever move on it, it's not an issue the gay men are you know they're most of them are pretty much portrayed as fey and kind of sissy and prancing queen and that's i mean that is a little problematic 
but if I, I mean, again, it that was that era, and that was what I don't know that <laughs> I'm trying to please middle America, but that's what's expected because they also refer to them again as like hairdressers and people like the makeup artists, like on the sets, building this stereotype. So there's that, but they're such minor characters anyway that they don't even have a chance to be developed. So I mean, it matters, but in a way, it doesn't matter as much. <laughs> I think the I think the only film from around this era that this was released that actually handles LGBT kind of sensitively and actually kind of gets it somewhat right is uh, the Boston Strangler film that had Tony Curtis and yeah. uh, God, what is his name? <laughs> Henry Ford. I don't know. <laughs> Who is the investigator? Because he goes to he goes to a gay bar, and it's actually shockingly how well his character actually re- reacts to being hit on, and right. and he says something that's real short and kind of homophobic, and then the guy's like, "I'm surprised that you would do that," and he was genuinely hurt, and then the character legitimately apologizes and says that wasn't you know that you didn't deserve that, and there's yeah. even there's a lesbian couple in there that um has you know that like the various uh even though they have the various relationships and how these dynamics kind of happen in that mm-hmm. film, it's still him handled a lot more accurately and kind of sensitively than you would expect. And it was to the point where it was almost shocking the first time I saw that. I'm like, wow, I can't believe how well this is being portrayed. I haven't seen that in forever so i'll have to go back and rewatch it yeah i don't remember that actually well i'm going from memory as well so if you go back and see it and you strongly disagree we'll have to have another chat when i watch it again too <laughs> <laughs> no i'm saying i don't really remember that scene at all yeah. in the film yeah. that's what I'm so but i yeah. kind of use that as my baseline whenever one whenever somebody tries to say it was of the time i'm like yeah but boston strangler yeah. got it right <laughs> Although, i mean there were glimpses in hollywood getting it right but the thing is, I mean, this is also an exploitation movie. Yeah. It's going to be exploitative, which brings on brings me onto the trans aspect of this. Uh, yeah, that's the Z-Man character is just extravagant and whatever, eccentric and crazed like so many of these other characters until it's revealed that he's trans or intersex. And that's, of course, done for shock, I, th- I think, that they decided to go down that route. But, right, it's not it's not at all a positive portrayal <laughs> of anyone who is of anyone who's gender non-conforming. And it I, was and- really bizarre. It was extremely bizarre and kind of uncomfortable to watch this time around especially when i was like wait this is for your lgbt pride month i was like no why are we doing this (laughs) no because it's it's a weird film because you have these positive aspects like i said of the lesbians here but you have these problematic portrayals of these other characters and it's this weird time in film that it's kind of it was also i guess reflective society because stonewall had just happened uh the year actually the year prior to this so you know it was that times they are a changing kind of thing but yeah i mean that's still not an excuse but again, it's exploitation. And still, even with the p- problematic portrayals, there is a segment of the LGBT community, LGBTQ community, that really loves this movie because it is so fucking camp and over the top. <laughs> there are, so, I, I know, like, so, like gay men who love it because 
the women are so strong and over the top. You know, the one thing that the um, Criterion, one of their Criterion extras, is an interview with John Waters. And he's talking about when he and Divine went and saw it and how they went and saw all these other Russ Meyer films together. <laughs> but how, what they, you know, what they loved about this movie. <laughs> and, and part of it is these female characters do have these strengths, but yeah, they're all so over the top. And they're, the way everyone is so, every, the way they're dressed it's the way they act. <laughs> it's Z-Man's dialogue is Shakespearean, literally Shakespearean sometimes. I mean, he rips it off from Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, it's like Emerson points that out. <laughs> oh, yeah, when they're walking in the field. Right. I think that was kind of a pot shot, actually, at some of the earlier Russ Meyer films, because he would have that kind of verse, and then he would have these weird little segue segments of people having sex. And I think it was, is it Up that's like that, where it's just like all these different vignettes, and then yes. they have... And is wrapped around with like this lady humping a tree and talking Shakespearean verse about what you're about to see and what you currently are watching. Yes, that is what that is. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's kind of like one of those things where you either kind of go with it and just enjoy what you're seeing, or it takes you right out of it and you're like, oh, okay, what, what the fuck movie? Exactly. <laughs> and I've had both of those reactions to the same movie in two different viewings. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, though. I do actually know of a few trans people who do really enjoy this movie as well. They admit, yes, like I'm saying, that it is problematic with its treatment of the gender nonconforming character, but they still love these camp melodramatic moments and everything being over the top. And they see that even as over the top, just like what you have in, like, Sleepaway Camp. I mean, <laughs> it's... Which was, God, 13 years later? Right. I think, yeah. 13, 14 years later, yeah. It's 1983, I'm pretty sure. So it's, and it's that, that's the, you know, that thing that I struggle with sometimes is, can I enjoy something that is still problematic? Right. Well, um... I guess we're we're crossing crossing uh, media, but crossing our streams. Yeah, we're crossing our streams. Um, you had the same issue over on the Psycho Semanticast when we did Rules of Attraction, right? And then there was right. some stuff in Liquid Sky, and it's it's been a, a, a bit of a theme the it last pops few. Up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, even when we had that discussion on Psycho Semanticast about the Me Too, the sexual harassment, and these people like Harvey Weinstein, whatever sexual predators in Hollywood and D and how you separate yourself from like directors and or whatever producers and who are horrific in their behavior but how you separate them from their art I mean that's a little slightly different but it's yeah. similar. With the Z-Man character I guess one of the uh, detractions or maybe it, I well I can't say that it does because I'm not trans but it being trans or intersexual, intersexual or gender nonconforming wasn't didn't seem to be the reason why Z-Man was so fucking batshit murderous you know well, he was just crazy or they were just crazy that's just it that is he isn't at the core it has nothing to do with that but mainstream america that's going to the theater to see this isn't going to see it that way Mm. and they even point out in this narration thing at the end they don't say that z-man regardless of gender is you know whatever they don't bring that issue into it when they talk about z-man and they're more in the moral kind of epilogue they talk about that z-man went down because of z-man's behavior and this exit you know this this life of excess you know more more of any like living that specific kind of lifestyle and rather than actually they don't blame again they don't you know it's not a oh 
you don't fit into a gender by you know the gender binary so they i mean they don't blame it that but i just see that middle america would see it that way i also have a feeling that the man didn't really fit with the world around him regardless he almost feels like an alien character who just happens to end up being some type of tastemaker or mogul that gets intermixed with all of these people and he just doesn't really fit regardless right. and it, it isn't until he tries to get all up on was it lance or i can't remember the blonde lance. boy lance it was lance Rock. okay jungle boy yeah yeah <laughs> which is problematic in and of itself calling somebody that yes. <laughs> but whenever he's trying to basically come on to lance and be an object of desire because he's desiring lance it then you know it doesn't work out because lance thinks that you know it's another guy hitting on him and that's not lance's bag which is actually handled quite nicely where lance is kind of like staying in bed with him he's like i'm not into this but i'm gonna sleep here you yeah. know right. like it was kind of interesting to see it in that aspect and it isn't until z-man reveals that he really is superwoman or at least on his way to or i don't even understand how that reveal is supposed to work but that's just me being mr cis straight man that's confused <laughs> well it, i think it's unclear whether it's meant to be someone who is at, at that time what they would say hermaphrodite someone who is born with i don't know i mean uh, are they necessarily supposed to be someone born with both genitalia or where they are more intersex and would develop you know might develop breasts or i mean like or is this someone trans who is transitioning what i mean what is, what is it or someone who has both i mean they don't they don't explain and it's just the shock value of seeing him reveal his a boobs? woman pretending that is just in drag like almost like even like they it's never fully explained it would be kind of an interesting character if z-man actually was a woman who was pretending to be a man to get respect in the business and right. was trying to show lance you know hey i really am this is just me pretending and you know can you love me for who i am right. but it never shows that and that's where i'm left with all these questions where i'm like okay well are you a woman who is transitioning and in being a, into being a man are you a woman pretending to be a man for respect are you a man transitioning into being a woman are you somewhere in between because you were born this way exactly. what's going on it's really confusing and it's just i think the big thing is just the shock of revealing that a z-man has breasts is, is basically what they were going for it's just like right just something to shock you yeah i think that's all it was and that's the part that i'm like what the fuck movie you had so many things you could explore why are you just now revealing this to shock us like you could have done so much more with this character right right exactly yeah it was a kind of a it strikes you as like well that's just kind of a weird way to go it was a cheat uh, more than anything i felt cheated by it where i was like you know the, there's so much territory that you could explore even in the most insensitive of times the way that you could have probably done this but it's just this weird revelation that has no meaning other than lance saying some pretty hurtful and horrible things which is pretty much the trigger i think right. it was it was the rejection more than anything that put the drug-fueled craziness of z-man over the top and of course had them do what they did right right i don't know it just um but it seems like one of those it's it seems very much of an like an ending that was put in there to like oh to the late and you know pull the audience in and, and that kind of thing which so many movies do that and that's fine but then on the other hand you're like really yeah you could have gone other ways but it, al it also feels like it's just an excuse to have manson style killings in the film right 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 yeah that was still very fresh in the minds of um everyone when they were making this well the fact that everybody was passed out in their very separate areas and no one was really aware of what was going on and then one person's running for their life and trying to call for help and then mm -hmm. people end up showing up pretty much too late it just really felt like we were seeing you know darren tate's last few hours with a folger abigail folger and stuff like that it right. kind of reminded me of that but i'm more forgiving of 
of something like that happening in a film from 1970 than I would be from nowadays when it's just really kind of, I don't, I don't want to say cliched, but it's just so overused where everybody tries to pattern after that because of how much shock and terror it inspired in America at the time. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, felt, it, this felt more artistic about that to me. Right. It could have been done in, I guess, a well, I wouldn't, I was going to say it could be done in a less salacious way or, or, or it could be done in a more salacious way than this. But this is still pretty salacious. <laughs> yeah, the give my gun a blowjob before I blow your brains out thing while you're passed out. That was pretty unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, well, there's it, it doesn't that, get more exploitative than that. That and yeah, the beheading with the sword, which which is great, actually, in the fact that John Lazar is actually a classically trained like stage actor and had so already had the sword skills beforehand and had I, done all this Shakespeare. Yeah, so <laughs> I actually really enjoyed the beheading. I give it eight out of 10 heads rolling. <laughs> Yes, yes. There are just, um, so, so we had, uh, we had our, we had whatever quotes that we said at the beginning of this. There are just so many different quotable moments <laughs> throughout this entire film. Yeah. You know, and sometimes just the way that they even read one line. Bentley. You know, like, what? I said Bentley. Bentley. <laughs> oh my God. She gets so excited about fucking in that Bentley or just so excited about a Bentley I'm not sure which or both I thought it was a Rolls she was excited about fucking in a Rolls and was talking about how it's so much better than a Bentley yeah because it was his what? first time in a Rolls oh that's right <laughs> see that's why I just don't give a shit I'm also yeah. not a river person so <laughs> she is she is such an exhibitionist that I don't think she can actually get off with a partner it has to be the situation where someone else could be watching and that's the <laughs> yeah. only way she can get into it yeah what a lovely yeah and I you know and even like Harris later on he's like whenever they're like after they've had sex however many times and he's laying on the beach all like fucked up on the dolls and she's and he's saying something about like we even had sex standing up in a canoe <laughs> um, which by the way he is just every time you look at him through this entire movie he just looks sad and pathetic even when he's supposedly not supposed to be I was no. about through with Harris the first time I, re- I rewatched this oh yeah absolutely. just fucking leave a, like especially when they're all running to everyone's aid I was just, just fucking leave Harris sorry <laughs> right. but you know vehicles were way in less handy uh disabled accessible uh, what's the right in word? the interest of time we've got an emergency that we need to run to I'm sorry you call the cops and your car is not easily wheelchair chair accessible like there we go wheelchair accessible yeah, yeah but so uh, you know and all I'm thinking about like sex in a canoe and I'm like god the balance you would have to have for that <laughs> that's the deleted scene in the karate kid montage the standing up sex in the canoe would be an interesting thing to see. In any other Russ Meyer film, we would have actually seen it. <laughs> that's, well, there you go. But I did love that camera shot. That same scene where they're on the, like, he's falling he's fallen down in the sand on the beach and she's standing over him and she's in that yellow velour or, or velvet bikini. Mm-hmm. And, she, and he's got that, that great upshot that, I mean, that Russ Meyer loves those upshots of big breasted women. And <laughs> which you, you can't see i'm holding my breast at the as i say that um, <laughs> unintentionally i'm not that big but still they're there but it's it just it it really emphasizes that but with her hair color and the color of the sky in the background the night sky is just such a beautiful composition it just every time i see that i'm like god damn yeah russ meyer he was he was great when he had money i mean he was great other times too and you but it just the the cost yeah the still photographer in him was definitely coming out in that shot right right and i that's what i think that's
that's one reason why I really enjoy Russ Meyer films because I've I've had a, a bit of a photography uh, work that I've done over the years. And what was I going to? What was I going to say? Um, Darren, you've been quiet. I've been talking. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I did. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I, I well, I was largely quiet because you folks know a lot more about Russ Meyer than I have. But I kind of I feel like at least some of the actors had never heard the slang that they had used that they were using before, and like they were reading out of a translation book at times. And I know part of it is because um, the one lady is from England, right? Holly Reed, yeah, and you can yeah. hear her accent sometimes. <laughs> Porter. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, there's up yours, Ratso. I feel like she didn't even know what she was saying when she said that. It was just kind of, it helped with the theatricality of it. And I, I'm pretty sure that it was on purpose. Yeah, I remember, like, even John Lazar was just arguing about that, it's my happening and it freaks me out line. He was like, I would never say that in a million <laughs> years. And anybody this age would never say that. <laughs> like, yeah. That's when everybody starts calling you a narc and stops coming to your parties. Right. <laughs> But yeah, fucking Porter, skeezy old man. I don't know. And he's just a dick from the get-go. Yeah, well, you know, everybody's on a, working a scam. He's trying to, didn't they sort of hint that he was dating or trying to be dating the, the aunt? Yeah. Or, or he was at least, you know, fleecing her, trying, you know. He and uh, Lance Rock were the ugliest gigolos in Hollywood going I head know. to head. Yeah, there's a lot of men using women in this film in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's i mean it's but there's also i it it's it's just yeah it sets up this whole atmosphere of just it's the industry this city this life it's gonna chew you up and spit you out i mean which they did in valley of the dolls because True. it was the new york theater scene and the hollywood and the film and tv industry it's yeah. that same kind of thing just uh used up and destroyed in different ways by different men well casey even says that multiple times to roxanne mm. i mean basically she refers to like getting screwed over by men so many times in her life which can we talk about the abortion <laughs> yes please <laughs> oh i had to talk about the abortion <laughs> I mean, I think I feel like she was getting close to just throwing her down some stairs if she wasn't gonna go to the clinic. Well, I I kind of thought that that was the only moment where I thought that they made Roxanne kind of seem like the more slightly nefarious intention of you know oh of course it's the lesbian that has to be the one talking you into the abortion. It's not your other two friends that you've known <laughs> for years or whatever that you came here with. But you have valid uh, points. You were raped in your sleep. But that's Fuck just that it. Guy. It was really at its core. She was older and wiser and had been out here. And even she says you have one of the more common Hollywood problems, mm -hmm. you know, as in an unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. So, but what cracks me up. <laughs> so Casey comes into Roxanne's office or whatever. They have the discussion. And then immediately right after that, they are at whatever doctor's office to get <laughs> the abortion because they are in the same exact set of clothes so it must have been logically you would think they just let's they jumped in the car right at that time didn't give her time to really like think over the decision i mean maybe she didn't need time i know she'd already thought about it but still maybe she wanted to wait a little bit longer <laughs> But it's good that she was able to find a clinic that was open to treat her so fast. Well, I'll, I'll or you know, Roxanne had connections. <laughs> uh, yeah, she probably has. Maybe, has a maybe there numbers. was a sale going on. Get one abortion.
abortion, buy one abortion, get one free. Well, because abortion wasn't legal at this time. So, you know, she had to, I mean, it was obviously someone she knew. And that wasn't like state of the art facility at that place, but hell of a lot better than a lot of stories that you hear from that era. Better than any abortions I've ever performed. So I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) Your reputation precedes you, sir. I'm not a professional. I'm just an enthusiast. So. But, I mean, it just, it, it just kind of cracked me. And, and it was funny because it wasn't until re-watching it last night, which is probably, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie now. Six or seven times I've seen this movie that I finally realized it is the same day that she goes and gets the abortion because they're wearing the same clothes. I had to rewind it. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, you're efficient about it. Yeah, why put it off? It's better just to kill the baby right away as soon as you can. Well, and I mean, honestly, it is better than waiting. Yeah. I mean, you don't know how she had already, how long she'd already been waiting before she went to. It was like. She said she was about two months along when Roxana asked, and she'd said that she had actually had a test, and that's why Roxana's immediate response was, gotta get that scraped out. Yeah. No, which is good. Yeah. Catch it early. (laughs) Early intervention. That's our motto at the VD clinic. Catch it early. (laughs) Catch it early. And might I say that children are the worst sexually transmitted disease you'll ever get. It's debilitating, it never goes away, and it's 18 plus years of misery. Darren, happy Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But again... We're recording uh, this the day before Father's Day. It's all good. I get it. That's why I am. We are taking steps to do some extreme uh, birth control, you know, because yeah. got to reduce that carbon footprint. Uh. <laughs> That's why I said congratulations. It's the uh, mature and responsible thing to do. <laughs> Every time you find a parking space, thank a guy with a vasectomy. <laughs> I stole that from somebody. I don't know who, but it's a good philosophy. I like it. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, this movie was fun. Uh, I had only seen it the one time forever ago. Uh, I did not get the fancy release. I bought a digital version of it because I didn't remember uh, how much I would want it. But from the stuff you have been talking about, I could throw a dart and hit a special edition of it that would have some rad shit. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, I I highly recommend the Criterion and I mean, the Criterion Blu-ray and I have the the 4K, whatever, big TV now. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Gorgeous. <laughs> You're just talking about <laughs> Cynthia Meyer's body, aren't you? Well, yeah, that <laughs> that is 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 quite tasty. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that quite a bit. Yeah, um, I got you talking perverty. <laughs> there were other bodies in here. Uh, Erica Gavin. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I crush on Erica Gavin quite a bit. So the two of them being together was, you know, quite yeah. wonderful to see. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I watched Vixen last week for the first time. So, yeah. Speaking of tasty, didn't they show like frying eggs right after the abortion? Yes. It was okay. wonderful. It made me laugh so <laughs> uh, much. Yeah, scrambled, I think. Okay. Cooking it, egg. It looked like pancake batter to me, but whatever it was, it I was might, like. It might have been pancake batter, but then I thought, oh, it might have been like for a scrambled egg. I figured mm-hmm. with my limited knowledge, Meyer would go for the joke, but I don't know. Probably an egg. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was glorious, and it made me laugh my ass off. Same with me. Same with <laughs> but me. But I'm heartless and cruel. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, what outfit in this movie would you wear? <laughs> because there are some insane, crazy, and awesome outfits in this movie. Like, it makes me so happy. <laughs> 
I am currently wearing the Jungle Man outfit. Really? <laughs> Which is why you guys are probably glad you don't have cameras active for this. Are you tied up in the rope at the same time? Yes, it's making it extremely difficult to talk. Okay, just just checking. <laughs> just just check. Don't judge just me. Checking. I'm living my life my way. <laughs> what about you, Darren? Um, man, I don't know. There's so many to choose from. I guess uh, I would have to go with either the yellow tiny bikini or <laughs> the weird farmer lumberjack type outfit that Z-Man had on with the red flannel and the, um, wasn't that in this movie? What? I feel like when I was looking up pictures, there was Z-Man when he's leading a, a lady around by a chain and he's wearing like a red flannel looking shirt. Or oh, shirt. I don't remember. I know the scene you're talking about, but I don't remember what that jacket was. I doubt it was flannel material. It, like, probably not. Fabric, yeah. but it may have lo- had a look that you usually see on flannel. It's like a red red and black shirt. Um, a different print. Yeah. Or, you know, going for comfort. I'll do the uh, three bongs in porter. <laughs> That scene is so funny. Where you teach him how to smoke pot. <laughs> and yet he still hits it like it's a regular pipe. Exactly. Oh, Porter exactly. is so uncool. Oh my God. Oh. I feel like I'm Porter. I'm just going to say it. I feel like I'm him. <laughs> I'm just so unhip. I'm so uncool. I'm just me. And I just, I'll never get it. Whatever it was is no longer there. And now whatever it is, I'm scared of. <laughs> <laughs> Looking in the window at a yeah yeah just staring out crying wishing that I could be cool that's me <laughs> I, I am Porter <laughs> <laughs> hashtag I am Porter <laughs> I don't want to be I just no know. no you're not Porter no 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 um I wanted but I was talking about the co- the the closing and the costumes like for me they're they're just so many and I kind of love the okay what is it Z Man's bodyguard named Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> What she's wearing at the uh, the opening party is this. It's this very. It's this black kind of chiffon type A line dress, and then it has all this like gold and silver like embroidery or and beading or whatever all on it. And she's like a cape with it, <laughs> kind of like in a, a small cape, like a thin cape but long. Yeah, I'm like, and her hair is just fucking awesome. <laughs> just, and I just want Cynthia Myers' uh, eye, uh, eyelash game that she has going on. I think it's actually anytime I see films uh, from the 60s because this is still it's even though this came out in 70 and probably maybe shot into 70 but it still very much has a 60s look to it but the eyelashes that were kind of like look like spider webs and anytime I see a movie like that then I start thinking I need to step up my mascara game (laughs) (laughs) same like it's after like I watched Liquid Sky so much recently I started wearing um, blue mascara again now I'm like no I need to start with (laughs) Spiderweb stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Doing stuff. Stuff. Not that stuff. I'm not, no heroin for me. Thank you. We already went over this. (laughs) Just some grass and some Benny's man. And we were. Oh, the pills. The dolls. The dolls. (laughs) I'll do whatever makes me forget how I'm Porter. You know, just just pass it on here. Sure, sure. I wanted to ask you so, what's your favorite song in the movie? I really dig the first one that the girls play in their band that uh, that when they're at, they play it again right when what's his face takes the header right off the, find the scaffolding it. find it yeah that's the one when that I really dig oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah find it the dun, 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 yeah. That, yeah 
Dude. It's yeah. very evocative of the guitar styling and the beats of that era and the way that they play. There's so many songs that are exactly like that. Right. And I think they captured it perfectly with that song. And it tells you everything you need to know about what this movie's going for, for this type of 60s garage rock, like acid-induced garage rock stuff. Right. Yeah. And I really like the drums in that song. That That's my favorite song from the movie. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, they're actually, the music in general, even just like score, not the actual band, you know, whatever the Carrie Nation uh, songs is, just, I mean, or is it, whatever they use in the incidental music is very, I mean, it's great. But the Find It song, yeah, it is pretty, it is pretty damn catchy, as the kids say. Uh, <laughs> now who's being Porter? <laughs> I was saying that on purpose. But talking about the score, then, like, I love that they have it so soap opera style. Like, the hospital scene after Porter, I mean, after Harris takes the, you know, he, he dives onto the stage from the <laughs> rafters. And they're in the hospital. And they're in the hospital afterwards. And it is totally soap opera music from that era. <laughs> Just like the, <laughs> the origin. <laughs> yeah, the origin. Should I have his baby now that he's a paraplegic? Duh. Exactly. <laughs> it's hysterical. It is hysterical. It's the most like an actual Russ Meyer film that you're going to get is that particular scene. It feels the most like Russ Meyer movies right there. Right, right. He loved melodrama. Like he loved amping stuff up so much that melodrama became his thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean... You hear it, like that kind of thing. It, it's just, and then the, when they're doing the the scene where they're taking the peyote and they're starting to trip and they're playing the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, that don't, don't, you know, don't. Like, has uh, I don't know. You guys have real jobs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody else could admit uh, what have any experiences with peyote or mescaline, but um, I have not with either of those. Okay, I tripped with other things, but no. the first time I did mescaline, I sat in the front of front seat of a car with the lights on looking at the wall <laughs> and i had a good time um <laughs> <laughs> Man, that paint dried in ways I never thought I'd see. You know, it, it felt like I was driving really fast. And, you know, I was listening to music. I didn't cut anybody's head off. I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, what's the <laughs> point of doing a hallucinogen if you can't cut off somebody's head? <laughs> Well, you know, maybe if I, I was inside with everybody else at first, but it was way too hot. And maybe if I would have stayed in there, it would have been, I would have started calling myself Superwoman. Or su- was it Superwoman or Supergirl? It was Superwoman. Super, you know, Superwoman and chasing her with this. Excalibur, you pervy knave. I don't know. And I love that when Superwoman beheads Lance, you hear the 20th Century Fox um, <laughs> sound. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the flourish. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of like the bumbling cops in Last House on the left. It was like, let's try to throw yeah. in some humor to for- make you forget about all this it's grim like, shit. What is going on? <laughs> I don't know. There was nothing funnier than watching him chop his head off. Like, I found that stuff so ridiculous and hilarious. It wasn't until he ends up in the room with Casey and he puts the gun in her mouth and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not into this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> I was still <laughs> kind of in your corner, Z-Man, but not now. Yeah, not now. I can understand you, you know, feeling jilted and rejected by someone who's a fucking filth pig that you happen to uncontrollably fall in love with, so you kill them that way, but right. what, what did poor Casey ever do to you, man? This is not cool. 
Roxanne. Oh, was it Roxanne that was in the bed? Again, I can't tell them apart no. whenever. Ro- Roxanne. You can tell by the her, red light. Well, her breasts are slightly <laughs> bigger and rounder. Fair enough. I thought Casey was the one that was always on the pills and was always passed out because she was in the band. And Roxanne was the one that got up and got running around, right? No, Casey is the one who takes the pills, but she was up and she was running around. The thing is, what probably confuses you too, they were both wearing the same robe. Yes. The black lace robe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because initially before their sex scene, it's Roxanne that's wearing it. See, I've studied this. <laughs> <laughs> For scientific reasons. Clearly, I need to go back and watch from just their sex scene and then see who gets up out of bed. I need to pay closer attention. Well, or who lays on what side of the bed. Yes, after or supposedly. Anyway, but I'm too busy being blacked out after the sex scene. Sure, sure. Dan, it's right. It's just I mean, it has the uh, melodramatic come with me in the valley of the dolls, whatever song that it is beyond the valley of the dolls song where they actually say that in the song it's so funny that's the only thing that you're like no was that a marketing uh, russ myers like uh william castle type uh marketing thing where have a song with the name of the movie in it so every time it's played people say the name of the movie or uh did i read that wrong i tried to do Uh, a little bit of trivia since i didn't have any special videos i don't know about that okay about that we'll say yeah, i don't know if he I, I don't know if he ever actually did that with any other movies or if that was something they came up with to try and market this one since it was fox or who knows but well and it might have been the composer idea too you know he might he might have been the one to do that oh another thing of the music i wanted to mention during the showdown with z-man at the end where emerson and and uh the the uh who is it oh, what's her name carrie and pet are you know and they've taken what's his name Harris out you know with the, the wheelchair and then they're all running to you know stop Z-Man and so the struggle ensues between like Emerson and Z-Man and everything the music <laughs> is this Batman TV show style like fight music and mm. I kept expecting like a, a, bu- a word bubble with the word pow or zap to pop up Buff. <laughs> Buff, right exactly it just kind of makes me giggle every single time I would have loved to have seen a Benny Hill yakety sax run like where they're all chasing him and he has the gun. <laughs> uh, that right. would be funny. They they did that in the riff tracks for um Twilight when he ran really fast up the hill. Yeah. They they threw in the yakety sax music. It was fucking hilarious. But anyway, yeah. speaking of hilarity, got a mass murder going on at Z-Man's house and uh watch witnessing a murder cures paralysis? Is that what happened? He fell out of the car. <laughs> he Harris miraculously, you know, has movement in his leg again just because he falls out of the car well they had to have something to make it you know happy again and because it was a straight relationship getting back together therefore they have to get the happy ending and so he's healed and he can walk i mean pet and emerson had already clearly gotten back together yeah they survived her uh last dalliance with the walking sports cliche right well i mean he's a boxer whatever yep. um he was a champ oh this kind of goes back a little bit question about lance, lance so rock he, oh god he's all about the money we know this and do you think he's gay for pay yes i mean because he acts like oh i'm not into that with z-man and is it just because z-man's not offering to pay or i think just not into z-man or what he's monetarily sexual so if yeah. you've got money he'll get sexual with you he doesn't care i think he's turned on by getting more money yeah right he's like mr krabs but an asshole Ha <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Mr. Krabs. <laughs> that works for him on multiple levels because he probably had actual crabs. Probably. And, you know, luckily he used the uh, the A200 and uh, did some shaving. That's why he didn't look really out of... Like, he didn't look very 1969, 1970 in the jungle, jungle guy outfit. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was supposed to look like Tarzan, just like you had Roxanne and, uh, Roxanne and Casey dressing up like Batman and Robin. Which yeah. really worked for me. Yeah, I know, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> <laughs> that activated my comic book nerd level of joy right like, there. That's kind of hot. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was uh, where Court would say thank you, movie. Or... <laughs> he can say it here now. I, I say thank you, movie, pretty much the whole way through this for the most part, except for a few things. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm trying to think. Is there anything else? I don't know. Is there anything else you have to, to, would you, uh, do you have to, anything else you have to say about this court? This is my happening and it freaks me out. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a, it's a really good film. It has, it it has a lot of joy to it, but it also has a few moments that will take you kind of aback watching it with modern eyes. Uh, It gives me everything I want. I want boobs the whole way through the film when it comes to Russ Meyer movies. And then I want a little bit of violence to end the film. Sometimes I'll take a happy ending, but I like it better when it's not really a happy ending. This one was kind of bittersweet. <laughs> I could have done without the epilogue. I usually skip it, but I watch it for this show. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really the only part that I don't like about it is that epilogue. Yeah, actually, last night uh, I rewatched it earlier this week, and last night I was sure that I had watched the whole movie. And today I went to check, and I had totally stopped it right before the epilogue. And I think you're <laughs> justified in doing so. I think it's unnecessary, and I, it feels like something. I'm going to say Fox made them tack on. Like, here's the moral to your story, kids, of why you shouldn't do these drugs and engage in homosexual activities. Stop having fun and get married. (laughs) Well, that's usually what happens when you get married. Stop having fun. (laughs) Oh, and poor Porter. That's me. Out the window. That's me. (laughs) I'm Porter. I'm Porter. I would say as a person, a sort of newer person to the Russ Meyer, uh, this is a good, you know, step into the pool. You know, it's not full on Russ Meyer, you know, like like you would suggest checking out something like uh, Crybaby for somebody that had never seen uh, John Waters. John Waters. You know, I would actually suggest Serial Mom. Just jump right into Serial Mom. That gives yeah. you everything you need. Yeah. <laughs> Another great choice. My dog agrees. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a political show and I've always got helicopters and barking pit bulls in the background. <laughs> it works. I just have the asshole cat, oh. which I think was meowing during the scene. So, <laughs> so yeah, there will be Z-Man. And Zora, Zora, my, my cat is genderqueer, by the way. So... <laughs> And it's called Zora, so it's, yeah, Z-Man. <laughs> anyway, that's, eh. <laughs> would you, um, Court, would you recommend this? Yeah, I think uh, what Darren said about it being a good uh, stepping off point to check out Russ Meyer films, especially if you like this kind of, the style of music that they're emulating, if you like this era of film from the late 60s, early 70s, and you like your sexploitation type films that are around this time too, it's definitely a watch. Um, I can't really say too much more to it than that. <laughs> Right, yeah. What about you, Vanessa? Um, You guys have said uh, most of what I would say. Yeah, it's... 
definitely through modern eyes has some problems but i think it's, it's an enjoyable film i never i never have a bad time watching it and it actually does it is does have these act even though it is problematic through modern eyes in some aspects it is actually progressive in other ways so it you know i think it's what makes it a little bit easier to take the moments that are problematic um gives it a little bit more balance than uh some other films of this era but it's still at its core a sexploitation what movie and i you know i love those kind of movies <laughs> and <laughs> how and how i mean uh right um watching those a lot lately anyway and i would recommend it to someone but i, I mean obviously I, there are people where i'm like no i know you wouldn't appreciate it so why am i gonna bother you know this isn't the kind of film that i would watch with my wife because she wouldn't appreciate it she wouldn't like it and it just wouldn't really do much of anything for her but this would be the kind of film that i would cover on my show and i know matt would probably love i had a different reaction from my wife uh she uh was a lot of, most of the times i buy all my movies with my own money sometimes i use our our money so every once in a while there's just a text like hey so what did you spend uh 13 on amazon i just got <laughs> just got i'm paying the credit card bill and i was like i bought a movie for the podcast and she said which podcast and i said vd clinic she's like okay you still got me there um <laughs> And then she said, well, your what? wife doesn't hate me after I couldn't get the nine inch nails tickets. That's the, I appreciate that. It happens to everybody. Um, and then she, she asked me what movie it was. And I said, uh, beyond the Valley of the dolls. And she said, fuck yeah. And you bought, <laughs> and you bought it digitally. Awesome. Cause she hates DVDs all over the place. Yeah. It's like, that's awesome. It's like, Ugh. so at some point we'll be watching it together. We haven't had the chance yet recently. Interesting. You'll have to report back to your VD clinic listeners and let them know what she thinks of yes. it. Yes. I will. I yeah. mean, she loves, like, I mean, she, she would beat me up if I said I liked Pam Greer more than her or more than she <laughs> does, you know, or, you know, yeah. Uh, my, my wife is. Which don't worry, Darren, to watch we'll be covering a Pam Greer movie at some point. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I did, uh, was it Coliseum? So, arena? Arena. I did Arena with Witch because, yeah. uh, we were going to do nude nuns with big guns. That's a fun one. At, well, see, for us, we got a hold of, we got a hold of each, you, know, you do love your nuns, but, uh, he and I were <laughs> like, hey, so do you want to maybe pick a different movie? I don't know if I can make jokes about all this rape. <laughs> yeah that's the only thing so we switched to arena and that was the first time i'd ever seen it and i was like that's i'm i fucking lucked out that is the least pam greer movie pam greer movie ever made it is yeah. i mean it i'd is. seen uh well i guess no, i'd seen foxy brown or coffee and a couple others but i've um anyway yeah there's probably like seven well, I'm rambling. I'm going to cut myself off. Could I keep thinking of movies that I've seen? I was like, oh, I really like Watermelon Man. Um, but anyway, I have seen nearly, not nearly as many as uh, you two have. So you could have some future fun taking me through yeah. the, the exploitations. Yeah, of course. Trust me, that's on the agenda. That's on the agenda in the future. I'm just stoked because I can have Vanessa on non-sploitation episodes and it'll legitimize me and I won't be the only pervert talking about our <laughs> fetish for nuns. Nice. <laughs> what, what popped up on my my facebook uh like the you know the memories or whatever on this date type thing last year i had guessed it on cinema with gary hill or he did like a so whatever mini episode he was i forget what he was calling it at that same at the time but it was of the movie killer nun oh yeah my suggestion <laughs> 
Which is the most tame of all the non-sploitation movies. It ever. is, it is, but it's still <laughs> Yeah. I was I held back in, in just talking about just how much I love nuns, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> issue or good time. You decide, listeners. You decide. Exactly. Depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> but um so Court, where can people find you normally? <laughs> Serving time for all the horrible things I say on podcasts. No, uh <laughs> Not yet. Not yet, but it's coming soon. I am a tastemaker after all. Um, (laughs) I'm available on Legion Podcast Network, much like the VD Clinic here. We are both proud members of the Legion Podcast Network. You can find us legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. I've got a Facebook group that you can join and uh, have a whole bunch of fun. Cinema psyops on Facebook. I'm Court Psyops on Facebook and uh, Cinema Psyops on Instagram and uh, at Court underscore psyop on Twitter if anyone wants to holla at me, yell at me, or tell me that I'm completely wrong about anything I ever say. Although I never get any feedback because I'm just Porter sitting outside looking in in the window. <laughs> I will try to not put you on to uh, some Porter, Porter graphs. Oh. <laughs> hey, do, promote your show however you're going to. Um, and I will say too, I'm not sure exactly when this is going out, but we've got about two weeks from the date of this recording before actually one week coming up now, but we're about to hit our 150th episode and we're going to start a full franchise fest that will take us from 150 to the end of our third year. This is my third year of podcasting on Cinema Styles now. Wow. Yeah. In advance. Yeah. How long do we have, uh, we listeners have to get in any sort of congratulatory email slash voicemails? Well, let me pull up my calendar to see when I have it scheduled to record here real quick. Because I'm trying to release this in a week. Yeah. Okay. So we're recording this today, the 16th of June. So people have till the 24th of June whenever it's out. And I'm going to put another post up in the group saying, hey, you've got one more week. So 24th of June at the absolute latest before that. That'll make it on the 150th, but we're celebrating our three year in conjunction with that. So, I mean, for the next several weeks after that, you're going to miss the 150th. That's fine. But, you know, we got 151 through 156, I think. And we're even going to end up doing the Death Wish remake. And I don't plan on being too (laughs) awful polite about that. And I like the movie and I still have some quibbles to say about it. So, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually doing that. Although mostly because I can't wait for how uncomfortable Matt's going to be talking about all of the rape and death wish. <laughs> all of the films. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not going to be fun. <laughs> I, I've only seen the first one of those just because my patients just no, I like, no, I don't feel the need to see any more of that. So. <laughs> I personally think that two is kind of the hardest one to get through some of the brutality that happens in that film. Yeah. But uh, my personal favorite is three because it's like urban ramp warfare <laughs> i love death wish 3 but but you know i don't want to spoil my reviews there that are coming up of course of course of course well thank you so much for joining us today uh, you opted out of reading valley of the dolls <laughs> I'm, I'm a functional illiterate and if i'm gonna read i want to read tech manuals i don't i don't want to read delicious trash i'd much rather watch it it's more enjoyable for me well you you read you know when you were on the john waters episode you did read the john waters book but i know that had a, a certain appeal for you. Oh yeah, I probably would have read that anyway. Just knowing that it existed where this man did that crazy thing of hitchhiking across America and wrote a book about it. Right. I was like, yeah, I'm going to read that anyway. So yes, right, exactly, exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> no, I no, I, I and I totally knew that Valley of the Dolls was going to be one of those that was like, mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to read that book. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're not offended. Um, but we thank you so much. Like I said, being here, uh, you are always welcome. Well, always thank welcome. you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I didn't read any of the books until I became a co-host. Anyway, and my I did a few guest spots. It's it's our prerogative. Well, that's true. You were you were on the Satanic Panic episode, and you didn't read Michelle Remembers wisely enough on that. <laughs> Although retrospectively, you should force him to read it. Any well, of the ones that I you was didn't joking read. about that on the anniversary episode. I said it should be required reading now that you're a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really? Um, with Canadian Satan. You know, everybody needs to read the, you know, good word of Canadian Satan. Um... <laughs> but then when we did uh, the um, black metal episode, you didn't read the book. I was, you know, I wasn't sure. You were, you mentioned that you might do it, but you weren't yeah. sure. That was a little bit of a later uh, development. Cause I, and that it, was it was also, an, yeah. Yeah, it was initially going to be you, David, and Duncan. Duncan. And then when, uh, at that point, I think was when David had made his uh Yeah, and then decision. he told me he was going to retire. And then that's when, and that was the episode that we yeah yeah so that. i jumped on and i totally didn't have the time to read a like 900 word book <laughs> or 600 500 pages and <laughs> other pages and pictures yeah so <laughs> i took the easy way out and i don't regret it yeah well <laughs> not like porter <laughs> <laughs> i'm just over here at the window guys don't pay me anything <laughs> hang cool teddy bear <laughs> That's where you should end it. <laughs> exactly. Nice. So, thanks, dude. Note, <laughs> thank you again, and um, we'll be back in a in a minute with um, our book review. I turn my eyes to lunatic skies of red destruction, sunrise and morning empty. Hide my head. I've got to find a direction.
Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Okay, we are back to continue our discussion moving on to the book that we read along with the movie not at the same time we are doing Jacqueline Suzanne's Valley of the Dolls which was her first novel and it was published in 1966 so about three years before they started shooting Beyond the Valley of the Dolls the book is uh, the novel tells the story of three young women who become fast friends in the turbulent post-war worlds of Broadway and Hollywood Anne Wells, a reserved New England beauty who sees New York as the romantic city of her dreams. Neely O'Hara, an ebullient, or is it ebullient? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, so we'll say an ebullient vaudevillian with a talent she doesn't fully understand. And then Jennifer North, a sweet-natured showgirl who wants only to be loved. As life becomes difficult, each woman grows increasingly dependent on dolls, the amphetamines and barbiturates, which for a time seem to help. Do you want me to continue? Um, yeah, actually, okay. because they're, they're secondary characters that are also very important. That is true. That is true. Crossing their paths are such people as Helen Lawson, a brilliant but ruthless Broadway legend. Lion Burke, uh, who is sort of like Lance Rock, uh, at least similar name. Anyway, yeah. Lion Burke, a magnetic but self-centered theatrical attorney. Tony Poehler, a childlike but sexually aggressive pop singer. Kevin Gilmore, a powerful but lovesick cosmetics tycoon. And Ted Casablanca, a potent but opportunistic fashion designer. Over the course of 20 very, I will add, very eventful years from 1945 yeah. to 65, each of the women strives to ascend the Mount Everest of her dreams, only to find herself back in the Valley of the Dolls. Dun dun dun! <laughs> <laughs> it is screaming for organ music in the background. Yeah. <laughs> That's, oh my god. Mm. Oh my goodness. We talked about soap operatic tendencies and beyond the valley of the dolls but i really think i mean th this was a lot closer oh absolutely to the soap operas yeah it was it was absolutely and before we get into the discussion i have to say that this book was a recommendation of a friend of mine old roommate mia my who interestingly interestingly enough is like a victorian literature phd student <laughs> nice 
and from Canada and um, who just is like, I was telling her last year when, again, interestingly enough, when we were did Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, I'm like, it's a trashy beach read. She said, you ought to read Valley of the Dolls. And she was like laughing as she was saying it. And I was kind of like, I, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing. And then a couple other times we had we'd speak because um, she doesn't live here anymore. She's kind of like, you need to read Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Just and she was laughing the entire time she was saying it. <laughs> but she was like, it, it kind of like, okay, maybe I do need to read Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And it did seem, and she's like, oh, it's totally a trashy beach read. So this is the summer 2018 vd clinic official pick of trashy b trees yeah <laughs> whatever it, like it gets that award <laughs> <laughs> which was the not the beachy but it is something i mean just the writings and honestly i have to say i knew the content because i had seen the movie valley of the dolls the one with uh patty duke and sharon tate Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Once. I did not get around to rewatching it for this. Mm-hmm. I thought about it for a bit and I was like, sometimes I have trouble uh, recalling a book in a more thorough fashion without throwing in the movie version in my head. So Right. Uh, well, I kind of had I kind of like had it on in the background the other day. I rewatched it that way, so I wasn't like really immersed in and invested in watching it. But I did rewatch it after I finished the book last week, mm. and it oh my goodness, I could see where people who just were huge fans of the book would have been very disappointed in the movie because there are some things that they are completely left out, important things <laughs> in like the timing of all these different like certain events is way off. Like as far as, I mean, as far as um, what's her name, the Anne character and the lion character, as far as when they get together, like the timing's all off. Doesn't even mention that they get married and have a baby. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) like these salacious details that I'm sure that it was a bestseller. I mean, it was critically panned, but it was a bestseller. People, it was just, people ate it up. And Jacqueline Suzanne went on to have a career and like wrote a bunch of other books and that's in this kind of same vein, um, which I haven't read any others. And it's, you know, it's not my typical, that's not my thing that I want to read, honestly. Yeah. Uh, this is out of my comfort zone, <laughs> reading wise. <laughs> You know, the, the sacrifices we'll do for the show did watch Maximum Overdrive, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I enjoyed Maximum Overdrive. But, you know, this was still enjoyable despite not being a genre of book that I like, to tell you the truth. It was just, and it was written stylistically much better than I expected. I was shocked. I will I, give it that. Yeah. I expected. I expected, yeah, the writing style to be terrible, to, you know, just as trashy as the content. But it was it was more than competent, I will say, as far as, like, proper writing style on certain things. I was like, wow. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there are a lot of these. I, I wanted you to mention that other paragraph of their, whatever, the Wikipedia synopsis of this. Because there's secondary characters in this that are still very prominent, 
and still are, you know, relatively three-dimensional. Yeah, that's true. You know, and it is overwhelming when you have it all together, in a way. <laughs> it did sort of harken me back to... Uh some college some of my upper level college literature classes was like oh man if i after an hour or two of reading i was like if i took a quiz i don't know how well i would do oh. <laughs> it took me a little bit of time to get into it i will say because of like i was all of a sudden like whoa overload in all the people that you see but just like we were talking about beyond the valley of the dolls where you're all of a sudden thrown into this world where here you have this Anne character who moves from what is it connecticut or new england somewhere and she moves into New York City and works for an entertainment lawyer mm -hmm. in her early 20s. And she's left the guy who, you know, was expecting her to get engaged to him at some point, get, you know, and then get married and have kids. You know, she has these big, big dreams. It reminded me a lot, the way that they wrote about some of it reminded me a lot of, um, Liquid Sky and the Margaret character. Uh, yeah, and that that painting monologue. Her or, painting or monologue, whichever it would probably be. Yeah, because it's it, it's that these are the expectations of the people around me, and this is what I'm hoping and dreaming, or I want to experience something different than that. And that's why you move someplace else. I mean, I can totally relate. That's why do you think I live in New York? I mean, it's one reason. <laughs> yeah. I, there, I mean, that and the, you know, I know I'm safer here as someone who was queer. <laughs> that's part of it. <laughs> but um, yeah. And picking this for Pride Month, it's interesting because it's problematic with its use of derogatory language towards gay men. Mm -hmm. I will say that. And the movie includes that as well. Uh, but I understand some of it, again, was of that era, but it doesn't excuse it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some of the scenes where it's like, oh, I'm going to use this word that could be the hurt most hurtful thing I could say to you. Yeah. You know, in a spiteful moment. I, I, you see that, but... It, yeah, you then have problematic moments where other characters will bring the will use them in you know whatever in language as a you know it's just like it's someone's name. Yeah, it's a, a lot more casual conversation, just blam, right. like oh shit, right, right. And it's interesting that this is also this book is also it, it also has a following in the gay community it it actually does it's but it's that camp and over the top aspect of it <laughs> that is has what attracted people to it and then the fact that they turned it into the movie and the movie was just so you know ridiculous i unintentionally ridiculous i think <laughs> but it's just where you watch it you're like oh my goodness and there's one scene where patty duke who plays neely has a breakdown and patty duke we now know has had her own struggles with mental illness <laughs> and so it went that it was like you didn't realize oh my god that was perfect casting <laughs> for her to play neely because when neely has these breakdowns and ah, whatever tantrums she throws you know one way they got it right but um it's yeah characters like that that are there's still these women that do have some sort of strength about them and that has attracted 
I know a lot of gay men who are attracted to, like I said, that camp, it, it follows a camp aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, the strong, powerful women and what you see drag queens cling on to about women. I don't know why. It, it's been so long since I I've probably haven't read the book in 20 years. But sort of the way the women did, you know, have their ideas for how their lives were. And they ended up within various relationships with various kinds of men to different levels of happiness. It made me think of the sisters and little women. Right. Especially there was the one. Uh, I know this drives God, you a little I crazy. Read like, that in, I don't know how long it's. Yeah, um, but, I don't really remember. But the character in Valley of the Dolls that loves the poor man, the uh, the writer. Um, Anne. Yeah. Yeah. The character. She, yeah. She's like the sister in Little Women who falls in love with the teacher. Like, mm-hmm. love, uh, but not the Winona Ryder teacher guy. Eric Stoltz <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Shorthand. There we go. Oh, God. I barely remember that movie. I, I It's weird. Even though I was the demographic that should have liked Little Women and Louisa May Alcott, I never was a fan. Mm. I don't know why, but oh, you know, I mean, the, so the... I, I I know I've like seen and read those things, but not that much. And it was a very long time ago. <laughs> the black and white one, I think, was really good too. Who was the, there? Was a famous actress in that one? Well, there's probably a few, I, but uh, anyway, I don't know. But Valley of the Dolls, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, I want, let's, I want to finish talking some about the Anne character. I, is that the better way to go is talk about each character? I would think so. Cause it's 20 years. If you're like, I, I feel like maybe talking the about this, the characters. The way this book is written, it divides the chapters and goes back and forth over the progression of time and back and forth between characters. And it, yeah. And so it, there, everything is kind of intermingled, but each chapter alternates who it kind of focuses on and it's always between Anne, neely and jennifer mm-hmm. and and the others kind of it and it's not to say that oh when they're focusing on Anne, you know jennifer or whatever might is isn't there or something but and that's not as i i don't know the film doesn't con- convey that sense as well it's not as fluid as it somehow it works in the book yeah but it's it, i know it it just doesn't it's not as smooth when you talk when you would when you see it on film or at least that film that they made <laughs> maybe maybe it could have been done differently but yeah i guess maybe you do have to talk about each character but the the Anne character her well all of them okay <laughs> but particularly the Anne character and it because it it strikes this whole idea and you i had this conversation when i was on your show the rules of attraction about and i had been talking about it at liquid sky <laughs> this whole ideal of what a girl slash woman should be with love romance sex virginity marriage you know what this kind of image is supposed to be and the way some of these characters obsess about it and i know this book was written in 1966 i know that (laughs) (laughs) and i know it's supposed to cover 1945 to 19 uh 1965 but i just hurts my brain it's I, and i think that's why i can't read books like this normally yeah because i'm not comfortable and that's not how that's not how i was raised but it's i just i'm not comfortable I, i'm not enjoying that going through that you know oh i'm fawning over this and 
I understand everybody has a journey and starts out one place with what they're taught and who they become through experiences along the way. I know I have, especially like with my, I mean, my sexuality being queer, I mean, and dated guys at every, you know, and it's a, it's, I don't know. I just never had any of these expectations Mm -hmm. growing up. I never was the one like, okay, I'm going to lose my virginity just this way. And, you know, and she, and they really actually talk about that in here. And I, that was where this book was taboo when it was written because you didn't have young women because she's, Anna's supposed to be what, 20 when this book starts? I, I think so. She, she's talking about losing her virginity before marriage. And this takes place in late, you know, post or late 1945, like post World War II. So, but it's just right after the war. So morals weren't that, you know, far advanced. This is, you know, they end up in 1965 where the 60s and things, you know, the sexual revolution more. But even still, like, it's not that things weren't going on before that. You just didn't talk about it. Right, right. Rosie the Riveter wasn't a poster yet. Right. <laughs> or I guess she was. Never mind. But she was a but poster. She wasn't but... the kind of poster that she is now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it was... And so even though, but this time when Jacqueline Suzanne's putting this out, 66, is still really before there's the, I mean, it's before the summer of love and real, what mainstream and middle America is seeing on their TVs about changes in sexual mores. Yeah. And this, here's this book being put in every little bookstore all over the country and going up the New York Times bestseller list, you know? <laughs> And they're talking about abortion and using diaphragms. There's suicide. There's suicide. There are pills. There's booze. There's eating disorders. <laughs> there's abortions. Yeah, yeah I already know. said abortions. There's a lot of abortion there's we talked a- <laughs> about in this episode, I guess. Yeah. So much you got to say it twice. Um, well, we mentioned it earlier on Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is just, it's not my bag, man. Normally, this is just not my bag. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Um, and that's another uh, aspect of the beach book, the trashy right. beach read, is, yeah. you know, if it's not your thing, you leave it in the drawer where you leave the the copy of the key for the rental agent or whatever at the beach right. house. And right. the next person might dig it. You know, try not to get sunscreen all over it. And no, it's it's something fun to read one time, but you don't take it with you. Yeah, that's I mean, at least not for me. It's not for me. I recognize that, but I do also know people that would love this. Oh, totally. Love- and and my friend Mia that recommended it, she she loves it for the camp value. <laughs> she loves it. She appreciates that it is stylistically well written, and I get that considering her field. Yeah. She's also a professor, uh, an adjunct professor. So I get that she appreciates that, and I appreciate that about it too. Because otherwise, I would be like, "No, this is bullshit." <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, but it's. Yeah, I I mean it's you can I mean it's a, it's not that I guess it was a little over 400 pages on the Kindle. Mm-hmm. I I read but it on the Kindle too. It wasn't, you know, it, it, and it was the 50th anniversary so that it had whatever extra I think that included the extra um what do you call it? 
like forward. Yeah, the big stuff. introduction. New introduction and stuff, which was, you know, it was kind of interesting to see that, read that too, because it's like, yeah, consider what, where it was in the mores that you saw on TV, because still, what was on TV in the early to mid 60s? That was still relatively tame. But like, when was Dragnet on? I feel like... That was the 50s, but maybe mm. into the early 60s? Because I know there were a couple hippie episodes and some, one episode that had to do with acid. Okay, so that maybe went into the early mid-60s, but... Yeah, you still, we weren't that far away from Ozzy and Harriet days. Mm -hmm. Leave it to Beaver. Don't you show a toilet. No beds together. Right, exactly. exactly. I was just going to say no beds together. <laughs> <laughs> right, and this is so, like, in think we think about it now like, oh, that's not that revolutionary. But at that time, it actually was. And at least you do have with the Anne character who does have these crazy things that she's been spoon fed about love, sex, and marriage. She at least also recognizes she wants to do things for herself too. Mm. And not just completely live for others. Like her, not just live for her man. Yeah. You know, she's like recognizes there's certain sacrifices with her career that she does not want to make. That whole situation where at one point, Lion, you know, after she goes back and, and she's getting ready to sell her mom's house or whatever, and Lion's there like, oh, will you marry me and we can live here and everything? And she's like, no, I'm not going to stay here. <laughs> like, no, why? And I, I'm like, I totally get that. Why the fuck would I want to go back and live where I grew up? And yeah. And, but she was also like, I have, even though she loved this, this guy so much, you know, in destroyed and whatever other big relationship with the rich guy i mean just like <laughs> that they were like oh you better hang on to him and talking about like oh he's you know he bought you a ring that's worth that much money you need to stay with him like i just he's bona fide that, that i cannot do i just i'm like no fuck that this is not for me <laughs> I was reading some of those passages. I'm like, no, don't think so. But um, I, um, I don't know. What was I gonna say? Were you gonna talk about the asshole senator that doesn't give a shit about uh, Jennifer's cancer? Oh yeah, that's true. What a that that like made me really. I didn't I didn't read the book for a while after that part. I was like, fuck that. Right. That's I know. That's a whole thing, and it's just interesting because yeah, they actually talk about she not only gets breast cancer, but she has a mastectomy. Like you didn't talk yeah. about that then. Yeah. It happened, but you didn't hear about it. Just, That's when they were still almost whispering the word cancer. <laughs> like, yeah, like, hush, and, hush then the, and then the amount of depression and suicide attempts and suicide, actual suicides that occur in this book. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. America was still very, well, not by action, but by social awareness. Yeah. <laughs> N naive or uh sheltered mm -hmm. there's the veil hadn't been totally released e even though by this point you know america had already used the atomic bomb and tv started showing any blah 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 yada yeah. yada, yada. <laughs> reel that rant back in okay sure i'll yeah. pretend i know what that means but <laughs> <laughs> or cut it all out we, we might need to, we might need to cut it for time okay Sure. But I, I don't know. I mean, how, what did you think about, I mean, what did you think about the book, Darren? I, uh, similar to you, it's not really my thing. I can definitely recognize the the quality 
of it you know just because i don't like it doesn't mean it's not good and there there were more flushed out characters you know instead of the women being the side of the story like you would so often get you know they were dimensional characters with their own paths instead of being the the afterthought i guess you would say um it yeah it's one of those books that you 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 read once and send it on its way a lot of lot of books have that that quality it's it's you know it doesn't really not trying to say that i disliked it It, i just wasn't very into it it's 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 the subject matter type thing yeah yeah more than yeah i was also very you know i was i was raised by children of the 60s and you know when i decided to put off college for a while to go tour with my band my mom was excited and you know it was that sort of right life that i didn't really see the the planned out plot and everything hinging on someone else, you know, like find, right. finding that right person. It was more about f- doing what makes you happy, which the women tried to do, but they were sort of anchored to the men that they were paired with throughout. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting. And I, I mean, I went to like an all girls school for a, a, a for a long time. Um, like from fourth grade and then all of a sudden fourth grade on and then all of a sudden 11th grade it merged with the boys school so we had two years whatever mm. co-ed and a lot of these girls like i mean some of them were like family money whatever stupid bullshit people but even some of those and then Others, I mean, you. it was amazed me the number of them that even though we'd been in an all-girls school and there were certain things that we were taught that we could do education-wise, like especially higher education-wise, the amount of them who even in the mid to late 80s, because I graduated high school in 1990, and they still, their main goal of going to college was to find a rich husband to marry. Oh, the MRS degree? Yeah, and I was just, even some of them that I was like, you have amazing fucking grades. You are a brilliant person. Why? I mean, I was just like, I, uh, wow. <laughs> I, it floors me. It floored me. Because I was not taught like that. My parents, I was taught you go to school, you get education. Oh, Because yeah. that is how the rest of your life is formed. That's why you go to school. You know, you don't go to school to fuck around. <laughs> You know, to party. You don't go to school to, which I, you know, not to say I, I didn't enjoy myself, but you can do both. Right. It was, I waited to get crazy until after I graduated college, to tell you the truth, uh, because I was focusing on school. <laughs> I was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I did a little bit of both, but I always got in more trouble for getting a shitty grade than I did for doing anything stupid. Because if, if I was being, I, I, I wasn't relative, I wasn't very wild, but I definitely partied. Yeah. But, you know, I, I graduated with honors and yeah. one of the cum laudies in college, I can't, <laughs> the first one, the first level cum laude, whatever that is. <laughs> Magna. But yeah, I mean, I think we said in a different episode, but, you know, I mean, my mom's a teacher both my both my full sisters are teachers or at least one of my stepsisters is a teacher a couple uncles a couple aunts some grandparents in there so yeah education was hammered home right and, you know and yeah uh yeah my my older sister did even way better than i did she waited until college and beyond to you know do anything besides study <laughs> better yourself right. you know right right yeah yeah but i mean it it just to see the destruction in this book, these characters, and I mean, not that I haven't seen people 
in self-destruct mode. Uh, different people in theater, because it, when I worked in theater, I, I mean, the amount of coke I'd see sometimes is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, people just destroying their lives like that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, then you see the people in this book that they start out in the theater, but then, you know, they go to Hollywood, whatever, and they're popping the pills. <laughs> And some of it's diet pills because, oh, they need to lose those few extra pounds. Especially it's like, oh, the camera, once they go to the Hollywood and it, whatever, and the film and TV stuff, it's like, oh, the camera adds however many pounds, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to but, propagate, we have to propagate or uh, continue this false image. <laughs> right. Well, it, and then you have lines in here, which fucking crack me up. That was in the book. And I'm glad that they left it in for the movie. And to hear it out of just gorgeous Sharon Tate's mouth, playing the Jennifer character. Mm-hmm. she Because she's there and, you know, it's like her end of her day regimen getting ready to, like beauty regimen, getting ready for bed. And she's on the phone with her mother. And she's the character who's, even though she's there modeling and she's got this gorgeous face and body, she's sending money home to her mom. You know, she's good natured and she just wants to find actual love. And have kids and you know what I mean she just wants to that's just what she wants at the end of the day and she thinks that she doesn't have any talent whether she does or not is debatable but (laughs) she's always saying I have no talent because she knows she's at least beautiful but that's all people see in her even if she has talent unfortunately yeah that was her that was also uh, nude modeling in France right or am I mixing that up no no it was her who went to do the um, uh, European art films in other words porn softcore (laughs) porn um right but she has the line to her mom yes mother i'm doing my bust exercises whatever (laughs) and then she's like you know in in the movie you see sharon tate then go look at the mirror and like start to do the cheesy like old school 50s and 60s bust like the hands together thing yeah the there was a very specific one of that era is that they taught it was hysterical (laughs) Um, yeah but it's just it cracks me up because there are times where there's this little bit of humor injected and so it's like it's winking at itself to realize how over the top some of it is (laughs) but it plays most of it pretty serious i think yeah yeah it, it definitely had that that vibe throughout and it it was, you know, deserved to be taken more seriously than like, uh, I, well, I only read the first couple pages of 50, the 50 shades book. Yeah. And that's, uh, I'm trying to think of a, it's a poor comparison for in the same category, I think there are different skill levels. Maybe I would say, I hate to talk shit, but you know, I would definitely reread this before I read any more of the 50 shades if, if we're doing the the saucy right. beat, the saucy beach read you know like um i don't know yeah uh, i keep coming back to it just wasn't my thing but i know it was good and i kind of well, feel feel like i'm not talking about it as much as i could because i it just wasn't my my right. scene right and it is i mean it, it's really yeah it, i mean it's just it was hard for me to get into some of it but then on other things like i'd find myself all of a sudden like oh yeah <laughs> like have it would have a couple scenes where like you were just all of a sudden really engrossed in it and then you're like wait what's going on here that's not right <laughs> I found myself having a few moments like that. I, I, you know, so it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but, and I know, like I said, Jacqueline Suzanne wrote other books like this, and I don't think I would go to any of them because 
yeah. But it's funny. I was talking about this with someone at work the other day. So I was telling her about the podcast and she started reading the book. Okay. <laughs> she picked it up and she is loving it. But she also, and she also loved the Fifty Shades books. And, but she also was talking about some other books that she's read that were totally opposite of that. That were things that I liked as well. So I was like, okay, it's just sometimes you like trashy stuff. I <laughs> get that. <laughs> so, you know, and it was a straight girl. So I, I you know, <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that accounts for something. Yeah. Even though she was sitting there like, oh my God, these characters are ridiculous. She was talking, I mean, like, she, uh, to hear her go on about Neely, <laughs> it's been hysterical. Yeah. So I think people can enjoy it. It's just not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, if somebody was like, or if somebody came to me and said, I'm, I'm going to the beach for a week, name a couple, uh, couple books that are, you know, if, if somebody specifically was like, I want a beach book, this would be right. one that would, that would come up. And I just actually recommended it as a, trashy beach read for someone who was asking for those yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah and she's someone who likes every likes the trashy romance whatever beach reads sometimes yeah it's up a lot of people's street and it's a good yeah. book and uh deserves to be talked about i don't know uh you know sorry I, fans I don't like, <laughs> yeah well i don't like the movie as much i will say that once i re i once i i had seen the movie maybe two three times before rewatching it um and you know they'd been a while ago and then all of a sudden i read the book and then after i finished reading the book then i read i then i had the movie on and, and again i was had it on kind of in the background so i wasn't like obsessively following it but I just, they left so much out that things that actually made sense with the character development. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, so I'm not sure I'd watch the movie now even again. <laughs> like, it really is kind of disappointing because I'm not like, oh, I love that movie. Mm -hmm. But it was just one of those things that you could sit there and I would even, like, I had watched it before with other people, like, on in the background and we'd sit and make fun of it because it's unintentionally funny. Uh, <laughs> it's campy. I mean, this, but the book is, but this book is campy too at its core. Like I said, there's these moments where there are these little, like, kind of, you know wink to you know to the to the reader that you know okay this is ridiculous right <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's nice to have that break some of those moments up but i think i would have preferred this book more if there were more of those moments mm. to tell you the truth yeah i feel you uh i would have been able to get into this a little bit more if if it had been written like that it was just it was way too serious for me I mean, as far as taking these things as if, yeah, they're very important. <laughs> but, um... But, so we, I, we would both recommend it, probably. But it, but it really... You have to know your audience on this one. I mean, I think it's... Yeah. It's a trashy beach read, and if you want something that's, you know, ridiculous, this, this, isn't, this isn't a bad one. I mean, honestly, it isn't. Um, because the writing style really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. That's what gets it for me. That's the reason I would recommend. That's the reason I recommend it. Actually, yeah, is because the the writing style makes up for just how mundane this could be. Yeah, it it's easy to do sort of trashy bad. Oh, of it, course, it's, it's of harder course. harder to do it with some style that you would recognize or remember. Right, right, right. So, and that's also, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's everything to say that I have to say about it. 
Um, do you um, want to take a quick break or do you want to go right into some our next segment? I think we can go into our next next segment. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, so I guess that wraps up our discussion on Valley of the Dolls, the book by Jacqueline Suzanne. We both give it, I guess, <laughs> conditional thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so before the close the show, we actually, um, received some, well, two actually, two things. One, we, we put out there the book giveaway of the Sinclair Lewis It Can't Happen Here book. And the winner of that was, uh, or is, uh, Robert Ward. So congratulations, Robert. Thank you. I'm putting it in the mail on couple days from recording time um <laughs> so there's the book and there's something else in there that's a surprise so yes ah, i forgot about the surprise i got one when i won a gunslinger it's, it's the same surprise you got cool cool it's related to another episode we've done so anyway so that will be on on its way. And so now Robert actually has written us an email before we talked about the giveaway and actually going to read and he'd asked us some question, a question. And I'm actually going, we're actually going to answer that on our next referral slip episode because it's a, a, we're trying to keep this episode a little bit shorter and that's this his question is going to be a bigger answer. But so then when he answered in a separate email about the book giveaway, he asked another question. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I think it kind of relates to um, discussion we had today. Okay, so his question, are there any are, are there any authors that you have read a lot, but can't say you really enjoy? Example, I have read 15 books by Robert A. Heinlein and not entirely sure why. I somewhat like his premises and speculative fiction in theory, but at the same time, I'm really unnerved, unnerved by his sexual beliefs and find his, politi his politi political, I think he means politics, pol political to be troublesome in the, in the least. Each of them can be a multi-hour long podcast discussion unto themselves. I would rip them both pretty savagely for the sheer insanity of them. Yet I read, I yet I read a total fifteen before taking a break from them a few years ago. And then he says, "Neither of you needs to be crazy, but I'd like to hear how you two approach material that you find problematic, and if you ever just keep punishing yourself." <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, Darren, do you want to answer? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, for me, I'm, I am, uh, what would you say? Like a literature hedonist. I do not read the, unless I have to, for some reason, I do not force myself to read a book or an author that I don't particularly care for because there is so much other great stuff out there and so little time. Uh, as for Robert Heinlein, I agree. I only read one of his books. I read Starship Troopers, or yeah, um, before doing an episode on on that, and I I was a little shocked from having seen the movie quite a few times and then reading the book because Heinlein had a lot of problems or would have had a lot of problems with the way the movie was because the movie, as anybody that has seen it, knows that it's relatively anti-war, anti-fascist, mm -hmm. and Heinlein. Uh, was a military dude and he was all about the power of the military and you know he was a bit some of the things that um, the movie sort of 
satirized were seemed to be real beliefs held by him you know like service grants citizenship and you know some things that aren't necessarily bad but if you're very very militaristic you know um mm-hmm. like he definitely wouldn't have been able to argue with some people that the uh yeah anyway sorry I don't read authors that I don't like, and if I if I'm not digging a book and I, I'm not doing it for a class, I just put it down and get something else. Um, I don't know if that answers the breadth of the. No, book. I think I think I think it does. And for me, I don't. I'm not familiar with that particular author, so I can't speak to that. But I, yeah, I generally don't do that as well. Um, I mean. The only one that kind of gets it is um, Jack Ketchum for me. Oh, okay. Because I really like certain aspects of his stories and his writing, but uh, they're problematic. Yeah. <laughs> some of the misogyny, um, they're just, yeah, there's just some different things with that that I can't, I can't read, I have not read a lot of his stuff because of it, but... I've enjoyed when I'm I'm reading a book of his it, like or I'm I enjoy aspects of it. So it's the only reason I've read more than one of them. But even still, I've not read more than four. You know, I, I I'm like I can't I and I have spaced them out drastically. I mean, I see that he's talented in a way, but they're also some of his things are kind of like I said, just a little certain aspects are a little misogynistic, mm-hmm. and I just kind of prevents me from like wanting to go back too many times <laughs> Don't i'm not that, i'm a masochist but i'm not that much of a masochist <laughs> yeah i don't usually do that with my reading no i'm more likely to do it with a movie i'm, I'm more likely to finish a movie that i'm angry with absolutely that's also less commitment i guess you know oh no it is it it's totally e- is it's easier to be casual with your with an hour right i can watch a movie and pretty much, I mean, most movies, two hours. But I'm a slower reader than two hours on a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. My time is valuable. <laughs> if I could read really fast. Um, uh, Vice reads really fast. Yeah. Uh, and, and she, you know, flies through books. And then when we're reading something on the same page, I can feel her impatience. Oh, God. Yeah, see, I could never read with someone else on the same page. Because whether they're faster or slower, I just couldn't. And I, I wouldn't want them waiting on me, and I also don't want to have to wait on someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, we don't do it that often. It'll be things like, um, you know, little dude is getting ready to start preschool soon, so there have been a couple parent meetings, and you, yeah. get, you get your packet. Mm-hmm. Can I flip the page yet? I was like, I really don't need to read this, because you're going to read it and remember it all. But yes, sure. I, sh- I shall read it. <laughs> um. But yeah, I hope that uh, does your question justice. I know you've been waiting a little bit of time to uh, hear back. No, actually, he just sent that one last week. Oh, okay. No, the other one was that he that we're gonna read in the next episode was sent uh, a prior like a week or so prior. So okay, yeah. yeah. But it just since we're recording the episodes on the same day, peek behind the curtain. <laughs> um, it, it just seemed that actually 
they fit better this way, like where we were answering things. I figured it was a smaller answer to the to this question to the than to the next one. So, <laughs> um, but everybody, please keep your questions coming. Thank you for that again, uh, Robert. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. So we are um, we do always at the end of the episode put our little tag with uh, whatever all the social media information. But um, do you want to remind again, people? Darren, I mean, it's up to you. Are you just good with that? Yeah, I mean, like we were just talking about questions. Those both went to vdclinicpod at gmail.com. Right. Right. And uh, VD Clinic Podcast on Facebook, VD Clinic Pod on both uh, Instagram and ins- Twitter. Instagram and Twitter. Put the at symbol on Twitter. But if you're on Twitter, you know how to you know at how those, to Twitter. Thank you. Yes. Um, but yeah, come hang out, come talk. Between the two of us, we might have an inkling about what you're talking about. Uh, we try. We try. Yeah. <laughs> we try to sound smart. <laughs> But you know, uh, but yeah, thank you for listening to this and thank you for writing in. Yeah. Yes. And um, yeah. And, and this is our, yeah. Happy pride. Happy uh, LGBTQ pride. By the time this is released or maybe the day this is released, I will be, will have gone to the Dyke Mart. Don't know if I'm going to be able to get to the trans day of action. I might have to work that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to also do the big pride parade here in New York. So <laughs> it's three days in a row of, you know, just being out there in the streets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yesterday, uh, my wonderful missus went to two events. Uh, one was they were um, doing a sort of human shield between these racist dicks that came to protest outside a mosque at the end of uh, oh, God. the high holiday. And yeah. then some of those racist dicks followed her and her friend to the big gay dance party welcoming welcoming fuckhead mike pence to columbus (laughs) nice um it was it was pretty huge she had a blast she got some sunburn but uh and people went in and were worth it yep and people infiltrated his little press conference and they were yelling out stuff at him nice and getting thrown out all the angry old white people looking around in shock i think they tried to (laughs) They tried to shout down some of the protesters by chanting USA, as you would expect. Of course, because they can't think of anything else. And yeah, uh, regular pride and alternative pride are going on this weekend here. Okay. Um, at separate parks. As last I heard, there have been no incidents like last year, which is the reason okay. for alternative pride this year. Pride. Well, I, w- I wonder what the police presence is like out there. At the Alternative Pride? Yeah. They, considering what happened last year. They hired a private in, uh, security uh, company uh-huh. that is run by two trans people. Good. Okay, so uh, they have more control over it than mm-hmm. than the cops. Yeah, so there may be... There, I, I haven't heard from any friends about a big police presence. I think they're going on around the same time, which is good because they're all going to be at the, the regular one or whatever you want to call right. it. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. So far, I haven't got any updates. And I know I've got a lot of friends at both. Right. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, there are always tons of cops at our stuff. So, as well as also New York. But there are tons of cops everywhere. All the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, I went to a Yankee game the other day. You should have seen the amount of cops there. It was ridiculous. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Partially is because they want to watch the Yankees game for free. Probably. <laughs> 
Anyway, yeah. <laughs> on that note, um, <laughs> let's uh, close the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you want to say before we go, Derek? Promote uh, your other show or something coming up or? Uh, let's see. This is coming out near the, the end of this month june 23rd 24th maybe okay um yeah i i put out uh as you may have heard if you did not skip the movie portion of the show i uh ha- have a episode that's out that's a little bit about a weekend long punk festival i went to and my vasectomy for father's day and mm-hmm. followed by uh, over on the psychosemantic podcast um followed by i am recording soon with duncan mcleish over at podcast under the stairs and smoke we Mm -hmm. technically the midnight horror show is still going on so that that would be his affiliation and we are doing a special movie for the third of july and uh that will be out not too long after this episode and any horror fans that know the day the third of july will probably guess what it is i do you want me to spoil it i know if if you want to if you're right it's the new purge movie oh no actually not july 3rd 1984 uh, 5 25 p.m eastern daylight time is how i think the movie opens i don't remember ah what you're talking about obviously (laughs) anyway we are doing return of the living dead ah nice yeah nice there's definitely some uh commentary on governments caring for people in that oh yeah oh absolutely yeah and i'm gonna be recording the next devour the podcast um in a couple days we're gonna be covering for our pride month episode over there um Auto or up with dead people by uh, Bruce LaBruce, and then our the listener pick is the movie Grace. Oh, cool! Yeah. I I have I am put I have put a moratorium on my uh, movie suggestions um, and, <laughs> until one of you says, "Hey, can you suggest a movie?" I am just gonna kind of bite my no, tongue. No, always always continue to suggest movies, Darren. <laughs> it's fine. We oh. always enjoy our discussions, whether we like the movie or not. <laughs> And all these shows can be found on the Legion Podcast Network. Yes. Everything is over on the Legion yeah. Podcast. Big happy family. I'm stoked that a lot of shows are doing Pride Month episodes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't part of the network uh, last June, so I wasn't completely aware of, of how many people did it. But I thought it was really cool that a lot of people are doing it this year. Um, They didn't do it last year. And it's funny, but I forgot to bring this up earlier, but over at Psycho Semanicast last year, I was on the Pride. Uh, Court and I were on your... Uh, Pride episode. Yeah, the maiden voyage of the now annual, because we've done it twice, uh, yeah. Pride Month special. Try to do at least one. And Gods and Monsters. And yeah. You, you, me and Court had a hell of a conversation about that movie and things. And Yeah, no, that was good. But it was just funny. I forgot to bring that up earlier when we had Court with us. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like, oh, well, funny that and I mentioned it to him the other day. And he's like, oh, huh. I didn't realize your episode was a pride episode. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, well, (laughs) you know, I thought I had said that, but I guess maybe I hadn't. (laughs) I mean, you, uh, we record so many different combinations of us that it's a little tough to keep some of them straight. True. True. Anyway. (laughs) Um, so I guess that's all I have to say today. So, um, we should say what we're we're doing next month. Oh, what are we doing next? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, unless something changes, I believe next month is Cabal and Nightbreed. 
Am I right? Yes, it's our Clive Barker episode with hopefully two special guests. Yep. Uh, hopefully. They usually come paired together in, in many... Uh, in some instances. Yep, in some episodic in- instances. Uh, One has failed me before as a guest. That's okay. <laughs> it happened. I hurt. I'm not hurt. My Fool me once, shame, shame, shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> Fool me twice, won't get, get fooled. Fool, <laughs> won't get fooled again. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, I think that means that we need to end yeah. this episode. Yeah. Say goodbye, Darren. <laughs> goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. Wait.